Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's December the 6th of 2023, and that means that it is time to talk about manga because it's a Wednesday, and we talk about manga on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. No other days. We don't ever have to change those plans. Wednesdays are a great day to plan to do everything. Nothing ever comes up in the middle of the week, ever. Yeah, and, and what is, uh, on, on Tuesdays, we wear pink. Oh. Yeah. You've been you've been doing that, right? You can't prove I haven't been. I can't. Uh, I'm going to start uh, messaging to Cole. Be like, I need to be proving every Tuesday. Nick's wearing pink, right? We agreed upon this. We, I... we both separately saw Mean Girls <laughs> and said, "All right, we're going to start doing this now." I might. I, I have to think if there are any shirts that i have that have flesh colors on them or something like like a character present on them that i can look pink um you don't have a you don't have a crazy diamond t-shirt no oh i mean i know that sounds insane i i'm I'm looking at mine right now (laughs) i can see it right here it's just not me yeah what what stand uh do you think you would wear a t-shirt for oh that's a hard one. Because uh-huh. I don't remember the stands very much, honestly, in terms of their designs, I guess. Yeah. Obviously, like, I, I know the more famous ones. Uh, but, like, I at this point, like, I think that... I feel like... Literally, would... if it's not a protagonist or antagonist one, I don't even remember what they look like. I feel like you'd be into Black Sabbath. I feel like Black Sabbath stand design is one you could get into. That's right. Let's both. We're both gonna sit here, turn, and look up Black Sabbath uh, stand. <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah. I, I think. I think the hat is something. I don't know why. I feel like the hat's something you can get behind the cloak. It's mostly black. Yeah, my big hangup is just the weird face. Well, you don't have to do the makeup, Nick. I'm also asking if you'll cosplay this. I guess. <laughs> That's oh, that's, that's where it's, it's first. You start with the T-shirt, uh, then you get a homemade squishable, and then you start cosplaying as them. That's the path I'm on. So, which one are you on, Nick? Uh, manga. So, uh... <laughs> we have so much to talk about. We really shouldn't even be bantering. We we have an entire series to discuss, and then what, like fourteen manga series to talk about yes. after that. Yeah, it's it's quite a bit. And um, yeah, so to get right into it, we read a series for this week called Soloist in a Cage. Uh, this is a series that's fairly recent, uh, ran until 2021 uh, and was only running for a couple of years. Actually, I think altogether it might have been running for less than a full calendar year because there's a hiatus that the author took right in the middle of it due to uh, health issues, unfortunately. Uh, but it's a series by Shiro Moria that was published on Shonen Jump Plus, uh, and it's uh, it, it is available on the English version of Jump Plus uh, as well. And it is a it was described to us in a couple of different ways as like a dark fantasy sort of series, like a dark fairy tale. Uh, it's a kind of action grid sci fi ish story about. A uh, young girl named Chloe, uh, who 
grows up inside this massive prison. Essentially, it is like this entire a prison city. city. Yeah, it's it's trapped behind a wall where they just throw all kinds of criminals in there. Some of them are, of course, very violent, but it's like, oh, you stole bread. Get in the city where people murder each other. Yeah, Get it, in there. It, it, it's comical. There's no scale, really, to which it is, or at least the governing body doesn't seem to care about any kind of scale. So as you said, mm-hmm. like, yeah, the worst of the worst will be in there. But also they're like, hey, your taxes were wrong. So I think you're going to go to death prison city because <laughs> there's no other like they're like, isn't there a fine I could pay like. You could pay for the bus fare to go to Death Prison City, I guess, if they, right. if you'd like that. You're still going to go. And, of course, because it is a prison city, you know, everyone is, like, very short on resources and food. And Chloe is on her own with just her baby brother, Locke, uh, who is, like, literally, like, an infant. Yes. Uh, and uh, so... She's, you know, just constantly trying to, you know, like, keep him quiet and keep him safe. Uh, and she's helped out occasionally by this guy who lives, like, in an apartment next to hers who occasionally just, like, kind of take pity on them and drop some food off by their door and stuff. Turns out he is a, like, political prisoner. Uh, he used he is a prisoner of war from an opposing uh, nation of some kind. There's not a lot of explanation for yeah. the different factions that are at play in this world. Uh, but he and two of his comrades are, you know, all soldiers who worked together and they planned this jailbreak because they have been like made to work on the wall uh, of the city. And so they've kind of like set some stuff up ahead of time and circumstances arise where it's like, you know, perfect conditions for them to execute their escape, uh, you know, dead of night they you know know how to get by without triggering these robot guards that they have uh, guarding the place mm. uh and it's been snowing uh an incredible amount so there's all this snow piled up next to the wall so they can make their escape but chloe finds out about this and she decides to tag along and kind of like sneak along with them and the the main guy was kind of taking pity on them and was having a hard time abandoning them because he felt like he needed to take care of them because they're kids. They're innocent kids, you know. Uh, so, unfortunately, as a result of her trying to escape with them, uh, things go wrong and uh, alarms go off and uh, Chloe nearly falls. And although the guy catches her, she drops her brother. Mm-hmm. And he falls back on the other side of this wall and is trapped within the prison city and she has no way of getting him. So she gets taken away uh, with these guys and they escape together. But she is determined still to one day go back and save her brother. And she is raised from the time that she's probably a little bit less than 10 to the time that she is basically an adult. Uh to get ready to go and infiltrate this city and go and rescue her brother, who of course has is now, you know, like he's 10 years older. She doesn't know where to find him. She doesn't know even if he's alive, but she's determined to go in there and find him. Now, as her premise to start off with. Now, Nick, she has to go into the city again, and she goes in by way of a prison bus where we meet a few characters. 
So this implies that at some point she committed some kind of crime to get in there. Yeah. Nick, I'm posing this 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 question to you. You know you have to go to prison for some reason. Maybe right. it's to help someone break out. So you know you have to commit a crime. What okay. crime are you committing? Knowing that like, you're you're not concerned with the consequence. You want the consequence. You want to go to jail, but you're like, what am I gonna do to get there? What'll be fun? Would it be fun is a different thing for what I would do to get there. All right, well, what, would you, what would you do then? What, what, what are you going to do? Oh, something like, you know, steal money, tax fraud, something along those okay. lines. Because, you know, if I do that, then it's a white collar thing and I'll just go to jail. I won't have people, you know, being like, stop resisting and break my legs on the way well, in. What, what if you need to go to this prison, though? It, it, you have to get... This prison? You had, I don't know. Well, well, that you just steal bread. What if you right. what, if, what if you have to get to Oz though, Nick? <laughs> oh, if I have to go to Oz, uh, I don't know. Uh, go to the governor's house and take a dump on his lawn. Uh, like, this is this is a great option. I was gonna say blow up a bank, but I think your option's better. <laughs> Not even for like the money, I'm... just for the just for the the thrill. <laughs> I feel like one of us is going to get put on the list, and one of us is going to put get put on a different list. But okay. <laughs> um. So, yeah, that, that's the setup for this premise. But we are, I suppose, remiss if we don't talk about a major aspect of the series, which is the fact that it's like set up in parts. But this is only a 20 chapter long series. So this is There's something three you parts. three parts. Yeah. Um, and like after the second part, there is like a notice. that's like because of the author's health, this series is going on hiatus. And when it comes back. It kind of very quickly ends from there. Like right. it's like a series of chapters, but like we very quickly close all the loopholes and bring the series to a conclusion. Yeah. Um, I don't know the specifics. I don't know if it's the series was intending to kind of be this short or if it was like, uh, we have to like cram everything together because like who Locke is in particular felt very like on big of a reveal i was like oh it's yeah. just you okay yeah. um so there's definitely i feel like maybe some um stuff that had to get changed to deal with the fact that this series got truncated so much but yeah this is this is a series that you could if you want read in like an afternoon mm -hmm. there's a lot it's not just that it's you know fairly short at 20 chapters it's also that there's a lot of sequences in it, uh, particularly with its action scenes that are just very focused on just visuals, uh, you know, sequential arts, uh, cinematic style presentation of how, you know, a scene unfolds across the course of like a full chapter. So, uh, you know, you'll just see Chloe get into a fight scene and it'll go into it in great depth and there's a lot of detail in it but it doesn't take a lot of time to read because it's not very dialogue heavy there's not a lot of you know com complex plot details to have to take in it's like she's fighting a guy mm -hmm. uh and that's a big chunk of the story is chloe fighting people uh it not only is like a big thing drives the plot forward but there's a lot of symbolic stuff going on uh, in terms of how that affects her character and what she's going through at that given point in the story uh, is the kind of imagery that is used with her. That's where we get the title of the manga, in fact, is that when she goes on this like massive killing spree where she basically goes into a bus full of rapists and just 
kills all of them yeah. in this very easy, graceful fashion. Uh, the ringleader of the group, who is in the back of the bus and is able to like kind of keep, take this all in, compares her to an artist. So he refers to her as being a soloist. Yes. And how she kills people. Well, because she has a very particular way of fighting. Because what is it, Chloe? I, I read this a week ago, Chloe. so a lot of names are just not going to be in there. Chloe um, is herself a very nervous and shy person. She yeah. is just very, like, I guess, demure or whatever. You would, you would, she, she doesn't have a lot of, like, outward personality, like, for. She's, she's very shy, nervous, all that sort of stuff. When she, so as a result, she doesn't like to kill or fight people. So when she fights, she closes her eyes and then she responds to things as if in a dance. And you can only assume that this is presumably how she was trained. Uh, we don't ever get to see that. Or at least I don't recall seeing it at any real point to explain why she dances in this way or why she responds yeah. to violence by kind of closing her eyes and then reacting to things. Um, but it, it does create a very elegant way of killing people while also giving this character a tad bit more of a personality than I feel like the just like cool stoic killer, you know, John Wick kind of character gets. Um, because, you know, once she opens her eyes, she's just like, oh my gosh. Uh, if there is one word I would use to describe this series and Chloe's character as well, it's uneven. Uh, part of that is due to circumstances, of course. Uh, you know, I mean, like, if this is this is a series that spent more time on hiatus than it spent being published, uh, so like like you were saying, uh, that may have caused plans to be changed. And I'm sure that when it was brought back from hiatus, there was almost definitely the plan going on of we're bringing this back so that you can finish it, uh-huh. uh, kind of thing. Um. And yeah, Chloe is a bit hard to figure out in some regards because there is the two sides to her personality are a remorseful killer and Yamato Nadeshiko, which are kind of weird to see placed together in the way that they are. Because uh, a lot of what she, what a lot of what her conflict is, is that, you know, she can't stop what she's doing until she rescues her brother. Like she cannot live without trying to do that. Huh. But in order to do that, she has to kill a whole ton of people because they're going to stop her from saving him, and she has to keep on killing people. But like you say, she doesn't like doing it, and she's haunted throughout the entire story by the people that she kills. They're almost always shown as like you know a bunch of ghosts that are like grabbing onto her and weighing her down uh there's one guy that she feels particularly guilty for causing the death of that uh you know just calls out her insecurities to her when he appears to her as as an increasingly corpse-like ghost uh and then when that stuff is not directly bothering her, when she's just kind of doing stuff, she just kind of like quietly does chores for people. Like, well, <laughs> we need to like 
So I, I want to talk, I guess, a little bit about the structure of this series, because that'll probably explain that second point. I don't think she was intended to be a housewife for most of the series. I think she was. So <laughs> the start of the series is like sort of uh, snippets. It's like, here's this situation she runs into. Like when the bus opens up, there's like a prison lane running section where like new prisoners are brought in. And a bunch of, like, the current ones are just sitting there waiting. And they're like, once you reach a certain point, the guards can't protect you anymore. And when that happens, it's like a mad dash into the city. And she and a couple characters we meet on the bus run. And this little girl falls. And she's like, uh-oh. She's immediately going to just get, like, pounced upon by these, like, vicious predators. So she's like, I'm going to kill them and protect this little girl. And then that kind of becomes a little bit of the story. is like these little uh, stories uh, where she would meet somebody and deal with an aspect of the city which is pretty harsh, but you know it, it helps progress her goal of finding her little brother in some right. way. So it, she, that's where she runs into the guy who's like, "Oh, I lost my granddaughter, and you remind me of her." And that's where she gets her Ushanka hat. Is that how you say the the hat's name? Something like that. Something like I that. Uh, I don't know why. Also, I, I say it, and I feel like I'm just talking about a, a Mortal Kombat character I don't know yet, like Ushanka. Ushanka <laughs> wins. <laughs> Ushanka who throws grenades, and everyone's like, "I don't." This guy feels like he's cheating. That um, is correct, by the way. Yes. Hey, amazing. Also, Austin told me it was "Woman" by Wolf Mother was the song I was thinking about last week. So, just in case anybody here was like, "Quinn's going crazy," chalkboard. Uh, you'll take it away. You don't need it anymore. Um, <laughs> what was I saying, Nick? I completely forgot. Anyway, We're talking about any- her adventures. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, she she goes on this 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 uh, uh, sort of revenge quest for this guy, so she can get information for him, and then does, and then it leads her one place, and then this next location she goes to. I feel like was just meant to be one of a great many pit stops in her journey, but it ends up being the focal point of her story, which is like, oh, she gets found in the sewer and saved uh, by this kid. And this kid's like, ah, I own you now. That's how this works. But he's like a child. So it's it's not, he's too young for it to be creepy. It's, yeah, it's not creepy, <laughs> but he's just like, if you save someone's life, you own them now. So you have to be my sister, basically. Yes. And she, she goes to this place where like just a bunch of very young boys are living with like, uh, uh, um, uh, what would you, what would you call it? Um, Intermed up now. They are like a, 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 well, a sick, a sick dad is what I mean. Like he's in bed, oh, yeah. a bedridden dad, I guess. Yeah. Um, and she takes on the role of kind of being the big sister slash mother surrogate figure in the house, and she starts doing the chores. And it's meant to juxtapose her roles in this world, which is like she's supposed to be a big sister to Locke, who you know that's desperately all she really wants in her life. But she's forced to be this this homicidal killer, basically, who is who is uh, left uh, just a trail of blood behind her. Uh, and I feel like, again, this was supposed to be a pit stop to juxtapose those two things. But because this suddenly becomes the focal point, it has an awkwardness to it where you're like, uh, I don't hate it. I, I feel like you have like a, a distinct uh, dislike of this, but I thought it was just kind of curious that we had to spend so much time here. So this became kind of like an aspect of the closure of her story. Yeah. uh, I think that basically as soon as we come back from hiatus is when we get the justification for her continuing to associate with this group 
through the entire rest of the story, uh, which is that, as it turns out, one of the group is her brother. Yes. And I I felt really bad when it came to that point because it was such a, a thing that just kind of happened because it's like, oh, well, this kid has a birthmark on his stomach that she sees and her brother had the same birthmark. So, so she knows it's him. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just, just like, happens all of a sudden. Because the, the, the actual crux of what that story was supposed to be is like a, a story of like mercy and euthanasia, basically, of just like, mm. hey, like the dad doesn't want to be alive anymore, but this child does not know how to let go of like the only thing that he considers precious in this world. Uh, and like how she deals with it and like an accident forming from it. Um, but then, yeah, like then he like trips and falls and like, she sees, uh, like his shirts lift up a little bit. And she's like the birthmark, it's you. And you're like, Oh, okay. I thought this was going to be a little bit more of something. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it made sense. Cause he was the right age. Yeah. So maybe I should have thought of that all along. Uh, He's the right age. He was also shown to, you know, he he walks with crutches. So, you know, you can kind of filter in like, oh, okay, you know, if he was dropped at tremendous distance, maybe he never recovered from the injuries. And so that's why he walks with a limp. That makes sense. Uh, And but it it does seem like it could have just been a matter of convenience. Uh Like you come back and it's like, well, here's this character that's the right age and would fit what I'm trying to do here. Maybe it was always the plan. Maybe this yeah. was a group that he with that, you know, she was supposed to have, you know, occasional encounters with. Uh, or maybe this was supposed yeah. to be an expansion of the main cast instead of just being just her on her own, occasionally meeting several different groups of people. Uh, but the fact that that's just how she learns about it is a bit awkward. Admittedly, the tension for why she does not say, oh, you're my brother whom I've been looking for is pretty immediately present and is easy to buy, which is, you know, she it wasn't her fault, but it also was that, you know, she gave this guy's foster father the opportunity to take his, own, his life. own life so that they because he wanted his he wanted his family to be able to get away and he knew that he wasn't well enough to make the escape so he needed to give them the push to do it so it was like look you know leave me behind because they weren't going to do it so but she gave him the opportunity to do that accidentally and he blames her for it and so you know there's that and then there's also the fact that she's like haunted by all these people that she's murdered so you know these specters are appearing to her saying like go ahead tell him Tell him about all the people you've killed so that you could come and save him. I'm sure that he'll love you for that. Yeah. There's also a period where she's trying to hide the fact that she has these skills as well. Like she'll she'll have to, for some reason, kill a bunch of people and then be like, oh, it wasn't me. I've been here all along. And they'd be like, Wait. she doesn't want to be seen as a murderer <laughs> yeah. by, by these people who are considered her family. And that's understandable, too. Uh, and then. Things from there get into this plot that they have been getting set up so that they can escape, which is that let me see if I can understand the circumstances that they are in. Okay. There's a cult. Yes. And there's a guy who runs the cult Uh who refers to himself as God, but he doesn't actually believe he's God. He just looks really young because of a medical condition he has. But also, when things go his way, he does go crazy and call himself a god. 
So <laughs> yeah, he was he was in this for the grift, but he's a, a, a psychopath. So right when it starts to actually go his way, he starts to buy his own bullshit. He starts to he starts to believe kayfabe. So what's important is that he's a crazy creeper who has some sort of infatuation with children because the entire cult has the infatuation with children. Not so in a creepy a- way, because I know that sentence can be taken in a creepy way. I mean... I don't remember there being I a creepy, it a creepy way. I, I, we, know the way I'm, we know the way I'm referring to. We don't need to name it. Right. And that's not shown, but... Uh, you know, they're all crazy creepers, and I'm not willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, is all I'm saying. Anyway, so uh, his, he's got this plan to have the father and then eventually Locke, uh, who goes by Leo now, uh, because he was, you know, of course, brought up by someone else, uh, make a airship for him to escape in, to go over the wall in it, and... He's telling like all of his followers that they'll come with him. And meanwhile, the children are planning on just, you know, using it to escape on their own. They're going to lie about the schedule for when it'll be ready and escape before they realize it. And then there is this enforcer of his. He's referred to as an inquisitor named Delta, who is like the big, heavy, mean guy who doesn't actually really get along with the leader of the cult. And so he's playing to get away on the ship with his men. And then it turns out that the leader knew about both plans. And so he was planning for them to fight each other over this and then swoop in at the end and kill all of the dangerous people and escape by himself with all the children because he's crazy. Uh, And that was going to be the plan. So the last several chapters are a bunch of a bunch of different action scenes, first of which being just this massive melee that ensues first between Chloe and all of the Inquisitors, including Delta. She slaughters all of them incredibly easily. Then it's this really cool one on one fight that she has with Delta where he's like the smartest, most capable fighter that she's come against so far. He's way more massive and more powerful than she is. Uh, And like, they really take each other down and she manages to win, but only after he breaks several of her ribs and her shoulder because she takes a big blow so that she can deal the killing blow. And then the leader swoops in and it's like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm God. And he has all this, all of his followers swoop in to kill Delta and Chloe, who are still way too strong for them to take on. And so a big fight ensues between all of them, uh, which eventually leads to all the bad guys there dying. Uh, and while the children get the airship ready to escape and Chloe manages to get to like this, the, the to get boarded onto the ship at the very last second. She has to like, you know, to be do the big dramatic leap and grab onto Leo's hand in order to do it. They start to take off, but they're being attacked by the rest of the security system uh, while they're taking off. And he, she's like dangling out of the plane. So she gives in to all of her despair and guilt yeah. uh, that she's felt to get to this point. And she's like, look, as long as, as long as Locke is okay, then I I'm, I'm, I'm fine with this. 
So she like lets her hand slip out of his hand and she falls. And there's been all these different points where Locke has kind of had flashes of remembering her from deep, deep, deep in his childhood. But seeing her fall really secures it for him. He, he does 100% realize that this is his long lost sister. So he dives out of the airship after her. And then there, there's a big dramatic rescue because the airship has to turn around and they set off a bomb that acts as an EMP. They manage to, they manage to uh, get uh, Locke secured onto uh, a grappling line. Uh, and he to- goes up with Chloe and she is like mortally wounded uh, at this point. Uh, her foster dad, the soldier that helped her at the beginning of the story, shows up along with his crew to cover their escape from, from the prison. And it looks for a second like Chloe is going to die from her injuries, like right before they manage to get to safety. We see a bit of the aftermath of like everyone kind of like getting settled into this new community, which is which treats prisoners like humans. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like there's a few of them. They're like, well, you have to, you know, pay for your crimes. So you'll do two weeks of community service. Yeah. It's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, oh, thank God I just stole bread because I was hungry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's like, it's fine. Uh, but they say that, like, Chloe has, like, a 50-50 chance of surviving. But it heavily implies that she's going to make it uh, at the uh-huh. end of the story. And the note that is, we're left on is that Chloe no longer has dance on her own. Uh, no She's no longer a, solo. a soloist in a cage, Nick. Uh, and there, there was a. Big you could thing, even like, say because they're in a snow area, it's all going to be about two on ice now. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, <laughs> let's let's start talking about two on ice thing. Although I no conclusion. <laughs> yeah, I will say we should wrap our thoughts up here um, yes. because we've already been talking about this for a half hour, and we have a ton of stuff to yeah. talk about. Um, but I, I guess to surmise my thoughts, I want to love this series because I kind of was really getting into the beginning parts of it. I, I liked Chloe as a character. I liked the art in this series a lot. I think it was really, really well detailed. There's able to create like very distinct visuals and like the combat had a flow to it. I think because her combat style was kind of like dancing mm-hmm. and everything like that. It felt very distinct from a lot of other stuff. She was a very graceful, you know, sort of John Wick style killer. Um, but because and I, I don't want to be like, oh, the series is bad because the author's health went bad. That's like an insane thing. I'm very, very glad the author was able to finish a series on hopefully a term they're at least comfortable with uh, and will support all their their work going forward. And I hope could find a schedule for it. Um, but that said, I think that, you know, the fact that the series felt kind of truncated in that last third part, even though it's probably chapter wise, the longest like stretch of, yeah, the, of chap- the chapters get longer after that point. Uh when it once it makes its return yeah um so i don't know if that function but like it didn't fill as a short story to me which is what this ends up becoming so i feel like there was opportunities for more adventures possible and just they were like look at this pace you're just like it's not possible and that's the right call um but as it is it ends up being i think a pretty good quick read but um you know, maybe there's always going to be a part that'd be like, ah, oh, what if? But, you know, author's yeah, health comes I think, first. Yeah, and I think that that is going to be like 
a thing that you're going to always have in an asterisk for this series. Like, what if it had like gone according, or at least more according to the original plans for what would that have looked like? I, however, think that when it actually did come back, some issues with the pacing of the plot aside, I think that that's also the most exciting stretch consistently. Uh-huh. Uh, it does feel as if Moria came back and, and was like, okay, this is where, you know, like, I've got the plan, this is what I'm going to do, and they were able to carry that out, that vision of it that they came back with. Uh, good fight scenes, like I said. It does have a nice, satisfying ending. Uh, if this had ended on a downer note where, like, Chloe dies at the end, I would be like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> all this misery that happens in this with all these weird awful people in this city doing all this abuse to people and then she dies at the end it's like fuck that i i so will fact- i will also just note um actually finish your thoughts sorry yeah I, I just just to say that you can get get through a lot if you know that there is a happy ending at the end of it if this had not had a happy ending it would have been miserable yeah. <laughs> I feel like. uh i wanted to to add that uh while the series does address that there are like awful depraved things that happen in the series you don't have to see those things. It's very mm-hmm. much like talked about. Uh, they're just like, oh, being a woman in this series or in this city yeah. is not a good thing. Um, hide the fact that you're a girl, wear you know yeah. clothes that hide it. But you don't have to see abuse happen, which I appreciate. It was like I, I get you want to create a tone for this 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 city, but I'm very grateful that like I don't have to watch it be awful. Hmm. And like you said, I mean, like we were talking about what kinds of creepiness this cult has about it. A lot of it just remains implied by this, the people that they do and do not keep around them. Uh, So it does feel very unsettling and dark without getting self-indulgent in playing up the grotesque aspects of it. You can accomplish a lot by just implying it and leaving it unsaid because people have imaginations that will take them to dark places. I, like you, did want to really, really like this. I came away on it, I think, a little bit more negative than you are, but there are definitely big parts of it that I did like. And I'm glad that we did read it. There you go. All right. So we had a good recommendation. Thank you. I think that was uh, Bass Forever who suggested that one. Or is it Bass? I've played board games with him for so long now. What's the Mega Man character? He's named after the Mega. It's Bass, right? Or Bass. Uh I'm not going to get involved in this. Uh, <laughs> Shit. I'm, I'm only embarrassing myself here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get. I'm sorry. I'm not going to jump into this with you. Well, uh, B-Dog. That's actually what we've always been calling him. Old uh, B-Dog. B-dog. <laughs> good, good old B-Dog <laughs> continuous. <laughs> B- All right. So me and B-Dog. Uh, good so ongoing treble uh, gave us this recommendation. <laughs> Uh, My Hero Academia time. It's chapter number 408. The eyes tell all. Uh, So we are continuing this flashback from all for one's perspective, I guess. Yes. Uh, Third person point of view uh, explaining it, though. Uh, So after the point that his brother Yuichi, you know, was rescued from him, uh, he hunted around for a couple of months trying to find him, and we see bits of him just wandering through, like, sewers and tunnels, just disintegrating people in his wake, uh, trying to find him. And uh, we get this explanation, this, you know, well, moment. Of- he specifically found him. 
Because I believe yeah, that's his brother. I believe, yeah, that's his brother in the opening panel being exploded. <laughs> yeah, and he also finds, you know, the first wielder uh, of uh, One for All as yeah. well. Uh, and not not really imp- implied if he survives this particular encounter with him. Uh, but yeah, he finds the f- first uh, inheritor of One for All. He, survi- and- he survives this one. Because I think you see, he talks about it. Because they they talk about afterwards yeah. that he has two yes. quirks in him, right, so he right. survives they have the, there. But... They have the con- they have the realization at the same time. You're right. So this is uh, Kudo, the first person who inherited uh, one for all from Yuichi, and they lock eyes in the middle of this you know massacre that All for One is leading, and we get narration that says from birth. There had been no shine to his own eyes, as if they were clouded by thin membranes. The sight of the young man was never reflected in those eyes. There's a nice contrast between them where uh, where Kudo, you see his eye, you see all for one reflected in his eye. When you look at all for one's eye, it's just blank and white. You don't see anyone reflected in it because he doesn't look upon people like uh-huh. they're people. He looks on them like they're possessions or people to murder. Uh, and then we get an interesting little visual because All for One is holding his brother's hand. Like just his hand is the only thing that remains of him. And from this, he is able to use you know, some other quirks to detect that the quirk that he granted him is now gone. So this has led to people either revitalizing or just bring up a a, uh, a theory, which is that shigaraki's disintegrate quirk is not his original quirk because apparently all for one had an ability that operated very very similarly to it where you left the hands behind uh-huh. uh it doesn't quite look like he uses the disintegrate in quite the same way based on some of the visuals of as i say it looks more like he explodes him looks different but his hand is left over so i do think that that's at least an interesting idea that people uh-huh. are bringing uh, so the idea is that, like, you know, maybe uh, All for One actually found Shigaraki prior to that incident at his household, gave him the quirk at that point, uh, and that caused him to kill his family. Would not be outside the realm of possibility, I guess. Uh, <laughs> They're but... like, it, you actually have two quirks inside of you, Shigaraki. He's like, what's my other quirk? They're like, uh, broccoli tastes like raspberries to you. That's, that's sweet. <laughs> Wait a minute. I hate raspberries. <laughs> He's like, oh, I hate, I hate raspberries so much more than broccoli. They're like, yeah, well. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, this, of course, is a big curiosity to both him and to Kudo and other members of the resistance where they when they realize that he now has two quirk factors. So. Kudo's like, wow, this is, you know, it's like it's like Yuichi's will lives on inside of me. Uh, and the two of them also, you know, think of Yuichi in two different ways, of course, when, you know, Yuichi was a prisoner versus when he had been freed and was and was blaming himself for not being able to stop his brother while killing a whole bunch of people. Uh, and Yuichi's thoughts on this ability that he has inherited is the ability to both give and take could have been the kindest most charitable power the world's ever known and it's like yeah he had this ability to take you know qualities that people didn't want away from them and give 
qualities to people that did want them. And instead he was like, I'm going to murder everyone and have yeah. everything. I, so could, I, I, I could have been a cool dude who's like, oh, my quirk is like a curse. And been like, I'm going to take this from you, uh, Spinner, and I'm going to give this to a, uh, a Scaly. And they're going to be yeah. fucking ecstatic. They're going to be gonna losing be their mind out of how awesome this is. Could have helped people. No. <laughs> uh, and then we get this montage of just Him all for one killing all the different killing yeah. all the people who have had one for all. Uh, seemingly taking their quirks too. It looks like uh, at, at a couple different points. It looks like he might have taken Bondos, um, but mostly just murdering people. Uh, and he says, you know, you never behave as I wish. I only want to make you mine. <laughs> Can he take the quirk from somebody who has all for one or one for all? He can't take one for all from them unless they're beaten down. But these are all I mean, he killed all these people after they had just passed mm -hmm. it on to someone else anyway. So and they had their own individual quirks like Black Whip. Yeah. that Maybe he could have taken. So uh, and so he just thinks, you know, all that he's been through. And yet all, this whole time, one for all, has been there to stop him. And he thinks, you know, I hunt and pursue, yet you slip through my grasp. And after all this, he's still obsessed with Kudo, the first person who stole from him by freeing the brother that he mistreated. So and so he literally says, Kudo's bloodline ended. I eliminated every woman and child he had been close to to ensure it. If Kudo's blood somehow runs through the boy's veins, surely I would have sensed it the first time I met him, referring to Bakugo. But it's all in the eyes. Back then, his eyes didn't yet have that look at the, to them. Just an incidental resemblance. Yet I'm convinced a willful resolve resembling Kudos has crossed time and space to thwart me. So... Not necessarily, oh, Bakugo is some distant relative of Kudo, so much as, I don't like the way he looks at me like he can stop me. <laughs> um, there's also a very cool visual because it's it's going through like the all for one, like, I'm going to kill all these people. And then it, it ends with uh, when All Might uh, punched his face off. Yeah. And that shot is so fucking cool. It is really wild when you think about how this dude had all these like terrifying, like awful quirks and the dude who beat him's like, I, I was strong. I was big and I strong. <laughs> and I just punched your fucking face off. <laughs> that that shot is truly like uh awesome for capturing how powerful that punch must have been when you're like damn his whole face exploded there uh well, for one stewing in tartarus the entire time thinking as soon as i get out of here i'm going to steal a don't get punched in the face quirk, <laughs> and then, I, then you'll see I, i'll have an anti-face punching quirk and then what are you going to do i don't know maybe i'll punch you in the dick <laughs> I'm going to get a genital <laughs> barrier punch now. Uh, I knew it was a mistake to keep this penis quirk. <laughs> He's like, which one can I keep? The one that expels all of my blood from my body or the one that protects my genitals from being exploded off? Mm. I better take this blood one. <laughs> uh... Yeah, so we kind of get just a reiteration of, like, the conflict that's going on in All for One's head of, like, how much 
time and effort he should spend repelling Bakugo's attacks because he doesn't have a lot of time or strength left uh-huh. at this point because he has to get to his other self within Shigaraki. And so he's like, all right, fine. I I was thinking that I had to save my remaining strength, but no. Killing you, reaching my goal, executing the transfer, all are one and the same. And uh, he unleashes everything. <laughs> Just all of his quirks at once yeah. in a massive explosion behind him. Uh, there are like bodies within this and faces that you can see from some of the people whose quirks that he's stolen. One of them looks a lot like Hawks, for example. Yeah. Uh, but they just, a mass of flesh explodes out of him and turns into jet propulsion somehow. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's using everything at once, so a couple of them probably, yeah, uh, have, like, little speed boosters or whatever. This is some, uh, Cronenberg shit. This is yeah. a, a horrifying mess of, uh, body horror to look at, but that is, uh, pretty fucking cool. And uh, he is just going straight for Bakugo. He's planning to just essentially head straight through him in order to stop him. And Bakugo is floating in the air. He's got all of his, like, exploding sweat surrounding him. And he says, some genius I am. How could I ever hope to beat that? But also, he's got a smirk on his face. So, hmm. Yeah, I bet Bakugo has to come about. Uh, next chapter, he's gonna he's going to be like, uh... Fucking, I got some uh, some uh, sweat in your eyes. Now your eyes explode or whatever. Take that, bitch. Oh, damn it. I knew I should have kept that propel explosive sweat quirk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this, this is a cool chapter. Um, I don't... I'm still not, like... In, like, I haven't been, like, red-pilled to the point of, like, I think All for One is a cool character. <laughs> I still think this guy is going to, like, at the end of this series, just be a villain. Like, I won't really yeah. remember details about him that much. Um, but I do like this backstory. I like the little details they put in there. Uh, I really, really love the art. I almost wish that could have been, like, a full two-page spread of All Might punching off uh, uh, All for One's face. It's legitimately one of my favorite visuals. <laughs> This just week. have a two-page spread dedicated to when My Hero Academia was just unequivocally good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, <laughs> I love little fucking Robotnik Doctor being a little shit and sneaking into the morgue mm. and being like, just don't mind me. I'm like, well, maybe you guys should have had more, <laughs> some kind of security for the most dangerous criminal in the world's body. It's it's fine. It's fine. I am allowed to be in here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it was cool, and I'm looking forward to seeing Bakugo uh, take this guy down. I think that's going to be really, really cool. And I bet when they do this in the anime, uh, uh, you say go or Jet say go, whatever. What, what, what's the the song? Wakusatsuo is Bakugo's oh, theme song. Okay, yeah. I thought they'd do the All Might one because this is him basically taking over as that role. He is going to stop the strongest villain in history. Uh, by use I guess Shigaraki has a couple crazy quirks now too though. Did that get implanted the, in his body? He, Shigaraki's got some crazy quirks as well. Yes, yeah. but uh, uh, yeah, I mean this is this is like a, a you know defining hero moment for him. He's he is going to save the day here. I presume it'd be wild if he just gets killed next. Week. Oh yeah, if Bakugo gets trucked, then it's like what are we even here for? <laughs> All right. Uh, Shoji, you get in there. He's like, no, no, no. I already no, no, did. No. I did my thing this arc. All right, you get tail guy in here. All right, he has the jack. 
point. Bring Sugar Man in here. He's like a sugar guy, actually. I'm going by now. I just decided that in the middle of the biggest fight in our generation, I'm just gonna just gonna workshop some okay. branding choices. Uh, maybe sugar dude kind of like more of a like kind of slang with the kids, like it just sugar dude, you know. <laughs> I guess that kind of makes me sound like fighting, a pimp, maybe <laughs> fighting top tier mass murdering villains alongside his classmates what do you think about sugar bear do you think <laughs> i think that's taken oh <laughs> what about sugarlicious like i don't this is getting further i think from your original goal i feel like you're slowly just coming up with your fet life account name <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying right. that is a good name <laughs> all right nick Let's talk about Undead Unluck. This is number 186, Sempin Banka. Uh, so we start in a little bit of a flashback. This is in the previous loop. Before Andy and Fuko had officially fully joined Union, they decided mm-hmm. to stop and get food at a little ramen stand. And uh, Fuko, I think, is the one saying, like, oh, I haven't been to a, a Japanese ramen cart before. Well, I guess maybe that's Andy. One, one of them says that, and one of them is like, yeah, I haven't been here in, like, ten years. Like, it, it's crazy. So, uh, Andy's like, you know, I actually heard that there's, like, this ramen joint where this guy, like, travels the whole world in a cart. And Fuko's like, wow, that's crazy. And he's like, yeah. Like, you know, I don't really know what the union's gonna really have us do, but, like, maybe while we're on our travels, we'll run into him. And if so, I'll treat you to a bowl of ramen. And Fuka's like, ah, oh, awesome. Can't wait. So, little cute moment before them. We go back to the present. Fuko has unveiled this, you know, Shokugeki no Soma gimmick dish, we all assume. They've lifted the thing and the, the steam's rushing out. She's like, time to eat up. And Engine's like, it doesn't look different from my ramen. But... She says, hey, your ramen, it is the best. Everyone loves it. Everyone who eats it loves it. It's great. But this version doesn't hold a candle to the ramen you made before. If you believe your ramen is lacking something, then try ours because this is the result of the ramen you gave me before. We've created the sickest ramen just for you. And we have like a pause as everybody's eating it. And then all the people who are like trying this test, they're like, this ramen's not good. Like, it's not good. This doesn't taste good. It's not hot. Like, it's it, it, like, it's just, it's okay at best, basically. And Gene is, of course, like very upset. Like, fuck you all. Like, my captain's the I'll best. I'll kill you. you. My girlfriend made that. <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? My girl space friend made that for now um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna work our way i'm gonna work my way into having a hyphen there and then the hyphen's gonna go away completely <laughs> but engine responds you made it lukewarm with cold air and they turn and he's crying and uh i do like uh, i think it's sean who's like oh no do we make it so bad he's crying <laughs> But we cut over to a little girl who's there with her mom, and she's like, Mommy, Mommy, look, I can eat it because it's not too hot. And the mom's like, oh, yeah, that's right. You don't actually like hot foods. You know what? Maybe I'll try making it like this next time we uh, have dinner like this. And uh, Engine's just like, 
did you ask my mom about this? And she says, no. I noticed that when you were doing your taste testing before, you you don't seem to like hot food. Uh, that's all. And he drinks the whole thing, you know, finishes the whole thing, drinks down the broth, and he's like, this was really good. And food goes like, oh, and they're like, we lost, though. So, like, don't worry, we'll handle everything from here. And he's like, you lost, but I got what you're talking about. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down now. And he's like, yeah, I, the thing that my dish has been missing has been right under my nose. You know, I traveled the world attempting to make the best ramen ever. I went on this journey trying to make the absolute pinnacle. And I found food that made everyone so happy. Everyone was like, this is the mightiest ramen. Even though it's the mightiest, it wasn't the best. That answer wasn't hiding. It was in plain sight all along. You make the dish with the person in mind. And if you do that, no matter what happens, it'll be the best. So you made, you made a dish for me. That's That means it's the best ramen. So everybody's Aww. very happy. Gina gets to be like cocky and confident. She's like, I knew we'd win. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Engine is all fired up right now. Pun not intended, but I guess works pretty well. Uh, and he's like, all right, I know what I have to do. I, time to get cooking. I have a dish for somebody I want to make that I have to make right now. I'm burning up. And he goes to light the stove. <laughs> nothing, nothing happens. And immediately Nico and Fuko uh, realized like, He's manifested his ability at this point. And he's just sitting there. He's like, what? Is this thing out of gas? Like, what's what's going on? And Fuko's like, hey, so we're going to head back to Japan. And uh, Shen shows up with the flying cloud. And she's like, would you like to come with us? Because we're going to have a whole bunch of stuff to cook with on this cloud. And we can make the best, sickest ramen the one no one has ever had the chance to see in the previous loop, or the one no one ever got the chance, you, the one you didn't get to serve in the previous loop, rather. And he's like, yeah, I think I'd really like that. And they fly away. And what's great is they call attention to the fact that, like, Engine's just like a weird dude who's just, like, fine with going along with all this union shit. He's just like, whatever, sounds cool. You guys are pretty rocking. But, like, for everyone else, a cloud just showed up. <laughs> And everyone loaded a ramen cart onto it, and then it flew away. So there's just one person who's like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's legitimately one of the best jokes in manga this year. Like, holy shit, I laughed so much that they actually had the person swear to. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Cut over. Uh, oh. Yeah, it's nice to be reminded of that, because a lot of insane stuff happens particularly in Undead Unluck, which is a series where, you know, the vast majority of people don't know about crazy shit. So, yeah. yeah. That's very, very cool. Cut over to Japan. We see Engine's mom, who has a little letter from her son. And uh, we, we don't know what the letter's about, because immediately the entire group crashes through the side of this hospital. Uh, everyone just goes ass overhead, basically. Uh, some people are like, Shen, what are you doing? Like, can't you control this thing? He's like, this is a lot more people that are supposed to be on this cloud, all right? Uh, but Engine, whose head is bleeding, like he has blood shooting out of the top of his head, is like, hey, mom, I made it in time, right? And she's like, I thought you were in America. Like, I, you know, didn't want you to give up on traveling, so I didn't bother contacting you. Uh, but he's like, hey, yeah, no, I heard you don't have much time left. And they both have the same smile. 
like that. I mean, it's a smile that's very synonymous in the series, but you can see like the familial relationship between them in that moment. So, uh, Engine's just like, well, don't worry about that. Here's this ramen I made for you. Senbenbaka ramen, the ever-changing hooligan bloom. And she's like, oh, no, I can't. The doctor says I'll probably die if I have solid food. And Engine's like, ah, good. Even more reason to eat it. And everyone's like, wait, are we killing her? Um, kind this of. This is what I wanted to do this whole time. <laughs> yeah, because his mom is just like, I fucking I don't have long anyway. I might as well have this. So she just goes to start eating it. Uh, and there is, I think, a little bit of a note that they're like, we have a little bit of stuff like rips. Like, don't worry, we're transitioning her to a soft food diet. But I'm like, are you her doctor? Like, I'm everyone's doctor. <laughs> I guess so. Um, and and she's just like, it's good, isn't it? And she's she's just like, holy shit, this is like really good. Like the 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 ingredients are kind of mild. Like nothing's like super strong, but like. Once you savor it, the texture is, like, incredible. This is very warm, she says. And Engine starts crying, and he says, it's because I'm your son. Mm-hmm. And he stands up. And, you know, he's trying to be big, brave guy now. You know, instead of crying in front of his dying mom. And he's like, all right, let's feed the other patients. And I, I don't know why. This is such, like, a meta-funny series. Because uh, they're like, yeah, sure. Because that's, like, the end of the chapter. It's like, oh, we'll feed all these patients. But someone has to be like... Yeah, I'm a doctor, and this is a hospital, so we should probably, like, look through their charts to see what they can and can't have, like, what their dietary restrictions are. And then he's like... Ramen could be very bad for people. (laughs) And then he, like, throws out, he's like, and we'll handle any legal nonsense (laughs) that comes up. Listen, we're already going to have to talk with a number of people after destroying the wall of this hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are. We're already kind of in some shit at this point. So uh, might as well. <laughs> so we see a bunch of uh, the members of Union serving different people at this hospital. And Fuku gets a moment away with Engine, And he's just like, all right, well, thank you. Because I, I don't have any regrets anymore. I don't think I would have made it in time without you. So I'm forever in your debt. And Fuku's like, no, I'm the one that's repaying the debt here. And he's like, nope, it's my turn. I'm indebted to you. <laughs> so... You know, you guys were talking about unburn or something. Is there something I can do for you? Because, like, I don't know what you need, but if it comes to ramen or fighting, I'm your person. I'll run errands to the end of the galaxy. I'll stand up to God Almighty himself for you guys. And Fuku's like, I need both those things, actually. (laughs) I specifically need both of those. And he's like, oh, I kind of just threw words out there. I didn't (laughs) didn't realize. Uh, But Fuku, again... In a way that's very amusing to me because she has not, like, slowly built this guy up towards anything. She's like, so my boyfriend's on the sun. (laughs) And we need you to create a dish that will get to him. So we need you to make your most piping hot dish. A dish that can withstand the sun. And that's where we end the chapter. Yeah. Uh, wild. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Um. It it, it is funny to see this thing because it really just kind of throws into perspective how insane everything that is happening is to see them interacting with all these regular ass people uh the you know the message of like oh the best type of dish is one that you make specifically with someone in mind is not like a super unique reveal or anything 
But I do really like the way that it is executed in this, particularly with the sense that, you know, you see Lotla and all the other people being like, this isn't good. Yeah, but there's but there's like three people who are like, oh, I love this. You know, this is it's very specifically for them. And as someone with very weird tastes uh, for things that I do yeah. and don't enjoy, I can relate to that. Yeah, I don't I don't like chocolate. I have said on many, many occasions Uh and I don't like a lot of other things, so it makes me hard to. It makes me bad at parties because the types of desserts that I like aren't always the most popular ones. <laughs> um, so that and that's nice. I think that Nick, try this of, chocolate chip cookie. I was like, no. no. Do you have a carrot cake instead? Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> uh, it, it does kind of I think trail off a little bit when we get into like the reunion with. And Jane's yeah. mother, just because, like, I don't know. The we, details seen, aren't there. Yeah. We've seen parental relationships in this that hit a lot closer to home. And there's a lot that's just kind of, like, left to the imagination uh, where it's like, okay, yeah, and he he made a dish for his mother. You know, great. And that's, that, that's nice. But it's just, like, a guy giving food to his sick mother that we have not met before. Yeah. Uh, so it's not all there. But I do like that we are instantly brought back to the note of this guy's just up for anything. Yeah. We'll go to the sun. Sure. It's fine. Yeah. This is not like if, if, you know, when we get to the end of this series, if we decide to rank our favorite, you know, uh, post uh, uh, new time loop arcs or whatever, this one isn't going to rank at the highest because I think there is that missing ingredient. Again, pun not intended uh, of his mom was just never really brought up. Like we knew that there was someone he wanted to make a dish for, and it made sense that it's his mom, but there wasn't a lot of like clarifying details about anything. So like when his mom does show up, there isn't that same emotional like grip that you would feel with like other characters were like, Oh, like this hits me in a way or anything like that. Um, but I do, I do still like it. This is still like, you know, like I think like a B you know, minus or a B kind of level story of like, cool. Like once you combine everything together, this works really well. Not amazing. But again, this was a character with like zero character development in the last loop. So everything had to kind of be created from scratch. And yeah. I think it worked. I think like the pieces came together. Yeah. Uh, let's go on then to blue box. Ba -ba -ba blue it's box. It's chapter 128 with Yodo. Uh, so Taiki has been invited to go and practice with the Yodos and get some instructions in badminton. Uh, and he, you know, he tells Chinatsu about this in their little secret meeting place in the gazebo in the park. Uh, and so he says, like, yeah, so I'm going to be going there after practice and stuff. He's going to be training with me when he has the time. Uh, and so Chinatsu indicates, like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like good practice. But she does privately think to herself, that means that girl's going to be there, too. <laughs> But to her credit, she does think it's Taiki. It'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. So, and it's one of those things where it's like, look, you know, it's okay to have that little jealous thought, but have faith in your partner. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Let them fucking have a life outside of the one with you. That's, that's all. Uh, and I like that she says, independent of context, like, yeah, I trust you. you know, yeah, I'll do my best because <laughs> he doesn't know about that. Uh, so Haruto and Taiki go to visit the Yodos and uh, they uh, 
immediately run into Akari, who you know, pulls an Akari. She stumbles, and the basket of of shuttlecocks that she is carrying flies into the air. And Hyot, it lands right on Hyoto's head, and he greets the two of them without even missing a beat. They're still falling out around him, like, "Oh, nice to see you." <laughs> So, uh, yeah, he's totally fine. Uh, and he looks at Taiki. He's like, hmm, yeah, you've gotten bigger. And then he looks at Haruto, too. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he put it up at Aime. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, and so they all, they all clean up the shuttlecocks. We have little details. like They all clean up the shuttlecocks first because they all spilled out. Uh, and so he says to Taiki, okay, so you want to learn the trick shot. It's kind of late. For you to be trying to do that, considering that, you know, you're just three weeks from preliminaries. Uh, so, and he brings up the point of, like, there's a saying that badminton is a sport about making your opponent mess up. So the guy who messes up loses. Basically, that's why like. when I play uh, uh, badminton, I give my opponent a trivia quiz so that they'll get a question wrong and they've made a mistake and then I get the point. Uh, fourteen ninety. <laughs> What's twenty times twenty? They're like, that's actually a pretty easy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Taiki is quiet for a second, and then he says, "Like, it just feels like right now I'm I'm lacking in something." So Haru agrees to help out. Uh, not Haru, Yodo. This is gonna get me so many times. <laughs> I just... So Hyoto agrees to help out, but he's like, okay, look, well, I can't help you if I don't know what your current condition is, so let's hit a few shots together. And they start playing a game, and immediately Taiki realizes, like, yeah, I know that we practiced together a long time ago, but going up against him again feels like I'm staring down a wall. And I do like how Hyoto is drawn, like mouthless no <laughs> details in his eyes like it, he's a robot it's <laughs> wild seeing this guy and being like this isn't a high school student <laughs> I, no. don't, I don't i do not believe you guys this is a high school senior this he man looks like he's 35 <laughs> uh, look if you put little glasses on him that's the nami from jujutsu kaisen okay <laughs> it's true <laughs> Put a little necktie on yeah. him <laughs> get a little cow print uh, covering his arm or something like that so uh, they they get into playing. Hyoto hits a feint, and Taiki goes after it. Eventually, Hyoto gets set up for a big smash, and he gets it by Taiki. And uh, Akari notes. Uh, I guess next, he's not a high school student because he just he graduated he just last graduated, year, so he's, he's yes. a college student. Yes. Uh, Akari notes when the smash gets by Taiki. I want to be able to return shots like those. So. Little note for her. Uh, and uh, Hyoda says, hmm, You're not bad. You might think your weapon is your power, but it's actually your footwork. You use your legs well while you're on the offensive. You shift yourself into a good position. You put your body weight behind your smash smashes. But if you want to cut down your mistakes, you should fortify your shield, not sharpen your weapon. And Taiki's is like, You mean you want me to be able to return smashes? And Hyoto says, yeah, don't worry. My smashes are really hard-hitting weapons. If you can handle mine, you can handle any smash in Japan. And he says it very cockily, too. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm really good. <laughs> so they get to practicing. And, and yeah, Hyoto is hitting smashes. And Taiki is really struggling with them. He's like, oh, man, even if I'm able to even touch them with my racket, I can't return them the way that I want to. 
and he's hitting all these really powerful shots and this guy is just not getting tired what is he made of uh and uh eventually they kind of end for the day because they're out of time haruto is exhausted because he's also been hitting smashes uh and so hyoto is like all right hey you guys want to you know go, go grab a bite to eat and so the four of them all go to a restaurant together Mm-hmm. And immediately uh, we get, yes, Akari and Hyodo are siblings because they both get their orders first and they start eating the exact same way. So they can't, just like uh, Engine, they can't handle hot food. They're the exact same way. It's actually uh, kind of adorable. Hyodo asks about Haru, uh, and uh, Hyodo makes the com- comment, oh, no, Haruto, I think, makes the comment of like, yeah, this is going to be their last shot at Nationals. Uh, but Haruto's like, yeah, I don't care. If they go because me, I'm going to destroy them. No mercy. Because <laughs> he's like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Taiki thinks about, like, yeah, there's all these people that I know that are, like, all aiming for their big sports goals that are in their last year. And he thinks about not just, like, people in the Batman Club, but also, of course, Chinatsu and Yumika and all the people that he knows that are in their third year and don't have any more chances at high school sports beyond this. Uh, but then his phone rings, and uh, so he goes to answer it. And uh, Hyoto immediately is like, "Yeah, is that his girlfriend who's calling him?" And and Akari is, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so they go off, and Haruto knows, like, yeah, I've never heard of him having a girlfriend. But Akari is watching Taiki. He's like just stepped outside, and he obviously he looks very energetic and happy while he's on the phone. Uh, and so Haruto and Hyoto just kind of like are talking casually about this. And Harta says, yeah, he's maybe he's just the kind of guy who's like close with his family and stuff. But then Akari says, because of course she knows based on what Taiki had said to her before, that he probably has a girlfriend yeah. or some, a significant other that, that he's being, he's being about. coy about a relationship. Right. So she asked them, what kind of reason would a couple have for keeping their relationship a secret? And Haruto's me like, well, if they were cheating. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is because when part of it seems to be because on a TV in the corner, there's like a soap opera going yeah. on. <laughs> uh, and so that, that's a lot. So he makes that comment. Taiki comes back. And instead of thinking that's ridiculous, Akari goes, no, no, there's no way. It can't be. It can't be that Taiki is having an affair with someone. You can't be having an affair if you don't have a, an established partner. <laughs> it's a ridiculous thing to think. Well, but in, in her simple freshman-brained mind, she's yeah. like, oh my god, the reason he can't tell us is because he's cheating. I don't know on who, but on he who? must be cheating. <laughs> he's a bad person. Um I don't know if that's the direction they're trying to go or if this is more just supposed to be a joke to end the chapter off on because it ends like immediately afterwards like he shows up and they're like okay cool but she's just like no no it can't be it can't Um, I'm hoping this is just supposed to be like a silly joke to end the chapter on because if she does start to be like are you you a cheater like are you a bad person I'm going to be a little annoyed at that development Um, but this is still I think a a fun chapter we're getting spoiled Nick 
We're getting a lot of sports in this romance sports series recently. Yeah, this was very, very sportsy. Uh, and then the romance came back in at the end. Uh, but it's been a very sportsy blue box so far, yes. Yeah. All right, Chainsaw Man. <laughs> Chapter 150, Dreams Next Stage. Naita and Denji have just made up their minds you, to just you, Nick. go home. Yeah, in this chapter, I'll tell you the exact moment a million hearts break. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so they've just had, they made up their mind, like, we're going to go home. We're going to go take care of the dogs and Meowie. And uh, fuck all this devil nonsense. Naita has agreed that she's not going to help the devils take over because Denji says that he loves her. <laughs> yeah, he's like, ah, shit, I got school tomorrow anyway. <laughs> uh, They start to make their way through the streets and there are like you know bodies being moved and stuff but there's also people who are just like going about their day going to school and going to work and Knight's like wow there's people that are just like going about like it's an ordinary day despite the disaster I might have to go to school tomorrow too and she's really upset about that and then she has a flash of you know like his life yeah. as it is at this point you know spending time with with Nayuta with the dogs and going to school uh and he thinks to himself like yeah i gotta get back to my ordinary life yeah i don't need to be chainsaw man you hear that pachita i'm happy right now and then as he's kind of walking blindly he um kills a bird uh, just steps on a random bird that's uh in the street uh and as he looks back at the corpse of the bird in his mind's eye it turns into pachita <laughs> And Pachita you know, rolls back over into a sitting position and he looks at Denji and in his mind's eye, Denji is, you know, a little kid from when he first met Pachita. And Pachita says, our dream came true. What will you dream of next? Denji's like, next? I love that yeah. moment, that specific yeah. sentiment of the idea of like, you've achieved your dream. Now what? <laughs> Yeah, what do you want to do now? But it's such a happy, optimistic, what would you dream of? It's so cute. Yeah, he's not challenging him or yeah. anything, but he's like, what do you want to do? Almost optimistic, like, I want to know. Like, what are you going to dream next? Like, it's out. I'm just a, I'm just a little, little, a little dog who is the embodiment of a murdered chainsaw <laughs> demon. <laughs> I eat other demons and kill them. But I'm just a little puppy right now. But I'm just a little sweetie. I'd like to know what your hopes and dreams are. So he, you know, reminds Denji of like desires he's expressed before. Like, do you want to have a lot of girlfriends? Do you want to have money? And Denji thinks about it, and then he says, "I want to be Chainsaw Man." And at that moment, we cut back to the present, and Denji and Ayuta's apartment is on fire. Like, not just on fire, but this is blazing. this is exactly this is where everyone's hearts shattered. Because in that moment, they were like, I know what this motherfucking means. <laughs> Nayuta realizes that all the pets are in danger because they're trapped in the burning building. Denji starts to rush in, but some motherfucker trips him. And for a second, I was like, what kind of asshole trips him? This asshole. This <laughs> I did not care about this man as a villain until this very moment. It's, what's this face? Ba, ba, Barum. Barum. Barum Bridge or something like that. Yeah. Barum, who 
has gotten away from the police and stuff, and he just has his hands on his hips, and he says, yep, if you're gonna burn someone, it's gotta be family. What a cock. What a asshole. And he even says in, like, an unnecessarily mean thing to say about Asa, yeah, I figure killing her wouldn't fire you up that much. You barely know her. Plus, cats and dogs seemed more flammable, you know? So, Denji reaches for his chest where the Chainsaw Man ripcord is. But then all of a sudden, Barum is just falls. He's been shot a whole bunch of times. Himiko has shown up with some other devil hunters with guns and they're like, yeah, it, he's got a release that's in a molar. So don't don't let him use his head or his hands. And they're just pouring it on with bullets. And then all of a sudden they're attacked by the whip devil who survived Quan Chi's assault. And like she immediately kills one of the hunters, just splits yeah. his body in half and at the very least knocks all the others for a loop. Uh, you don't know. He might have made a deal with the separation devil. Oh, it's a good thing I kept my <laughs> survive being whipped in half quirk. <laughs> it was either that or protect my groin in case it gets punched really hard. So I had to pick. This is a very whiplashy chapter. For Whoa, because the whip devil shows yeah. up. Whoa, dude. We- uh, Fujimoto is the greatest. <laughs> It started itself like it was going to be this like quiet moment of, of introspection. Denji's going to think about like, hey, what am I? What do I actually really want out of life? And maybe have to take a step. And then this asshole, he's killing your dogs because he's an asshole. Fuck you. It's very brutal because like a lot of us, I think, are soft and we don't like to hear like experience the the tragedy of like, oh, I've lost a pet in uh, maybe the most horrifying way. Also, I had nine of them. So this is this is very hard for me to process. Uh, And my little sister is here with me, too. So also everything bad that could possibly be happening is happening right now. Um, It's very, very difficult. I, I totally understand some people were not a fan of this chapter because of that. Uh, I know some people who are like, I'm not reading JoJo here, like seven dogs get killed in it. And I'm like, not in part four. (laughs) There's one dog and that dog is just old. (laughs) We don't see it die ever. There are entire websites and accounts dedicated to telling you if the animals die in certain series. So I understand. Yeah. uh, That might be a possibility. Yes. So in this idea that like, oh, no, all of Denji's dogs and Meowie are are killed by Barum because he's just an asshole. It's deeply unfortunate. I think Barum being such a fucking dickhead (laughs) is... A, a useful factor to this like he is yes. so unrepentantly just a fuck boy of a villain i don't know how else to describe it uh you're just like this motherfucker you're not even like the antagonist i'm like looking forward to right now you're not even actually the antagonist of this art yeah. you just think you are <laughs> uh so uh Bad dude, uh, but I think it comes together okay. This this is a pretty heartbreaking chapter, but also has some very sweet introspective moments with Denji that I, I did enjoy. Yeah, and I will say this. Uh, up until this moment, I didn't care about Barum as a villain, so well done. <laughs> yeah. Apparently I'm wrong. Apparently a dog did die in part four, but I just remember the dog, Koichi's dog. That dog lived. Okay, look. 50-50. <laughs> 
500 is a pretty good average for dogs not dying in your series. So take that one to the bank. Nick, would you like to talk about Eden Zero? Um, no. You don't get a choice. Let's talk about Eden Zero in chapter 267. <laughs> Mother, mother and child. Oh, if only we could uh, stop, Nick. Um, it's a Christmas chapter, but uh, something mother <laughs> and child. Wolf mother. <laughs> We're doing that song again. Uh, so uh, she Ziggy just showed up uh, and Cheeky's like, what, Grandpa? How are you here? And everybody's shocked. They're like, he just says, I don't have time to tell the whole story, which is wild because the whole story gets told in like two seconds later. So I felt like he easily could have said it there, but whatever. He's like, go to mother. You have to, you have to be there. It's the most throw a dart at a board full of cliche reveals and you'll get it immediately. Like it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Uh, So Void's like, I'm going to stop you. And he activates a thing that I guess exists in this universe called a protection matrix. Everyone's like, this thing's so big. And it's immediately shattered. This thing that was introduced 15 seconds ago. Like, oh, wow, you I know, made like a giant barrier. Oh, it's broken. Ziggy's so strong. When, when they were doing all of their ether gear training, where they established that the size of a protection matrix is how, to, how strong someone is. Remember that detail? Remember that? What's that? Remember that? No. Oh, okay. I legitimately was like, no. The only thing I remember from their stupid ether gear training was they were like, uh, being bound is the only way to defeat uh, a little freak. I mean, an ether gear user. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Ziggy shatters it. He starts fighting with Void. And he's like, Shiki, go on, hurry. Uh, and he's crying as he's doing he's he's, you know his overdrive ends he's like i can't believe your life and ziggy's like oh my god okay so you remember what the grant mayor grand bull told you like fucking uh, this place isn't uh, like deprived of ether in this universe that means all of us robots were fine none of them died there or whatever so uh he's like yeah that's why I'm, i'm still alive it's true in this universe everyone can be happy and we see a scenic view of a place we've never been to where birds are chirping and there's sunlight and stuff like that um, also, there's no androids anywhere, which is hilarious because they just yeah, <laughs> That's the thing. I was like, this could be a great example for why Void is the way he is. Not only are there no androids, he's also like, yeah, and you know what's going to happen? These motherfuckers are going to show up and they're going to like strip mine this fucking area for resources <laughs> and put a strip mall down here. Like, I don't, like, I don't know what to tell you. They're bad. Uh, but uh, Ziggy is like, hey, you have to get over to Mother now because if you don't, uh, she's going to die. Like, Ether is plentiful in this world, but whether Void gets to her or not, she's going to die, so you have to save her. Her life is already starting to fade. Um, and he even throws out there, he's like, look, there's three options. She dies on her own, Void kills her, or you save her. So Shiki's like, okay, I'm gonna do it. And, uh, you, you be careful too, Grandpa. And he's like, who do you think I am? I am the Mechanical King! And he activates his overdrive, which is very dumb looking. He gets, like, a chest mouth, um, which is a design. But also his, his horns become, like, lemur ears or something. Like, it's some Ratchet and Clank this, shit now. <laughs> this is, uh, this is like a, a level eight, uh, synchro monster yeah. from Yu-Gi-Oh! That, uh, that, that everyone agrees, uh, the conditions on it are too restrictive for the effect benefit you get from it. 
Uh, but eventually, when more tech gets released, like five years from now, someone will find some sort of like infinite exploit that it can be used for, uh, and then it'll have to be limited to one. Yeah. Uh, but when at the time of its release, it's no good. Yeah. <laughs> but if you if you if you sp- if you uh, uh, predict its price increase, you can you can make a little couple bucks on the on the turnaround from them. Sure, sure. Uh, so Shiki and Rebecca go off towards mother. Uh, uh, void tries to go after them and ziggy's like no you're fighting me now void or should i say my son who cares <laughs> there's and then there's who, literally, literally a little dot on no no who cares <laughs> who cares we didn't know who void was but now we do nick like three- no, three months ago, this guy was introduced. He never showed up until now, except for like one scene where he went all, ooh, I'm talking ominously. He's like, oh, you're my son. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Well, there's a very knowing silence between them. And he says, well, if you know that, then you know you can't defeat me. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and he's like, I have powers over gravity and time. And Why? Oh, Nick, we're about to see. We're about to. Don't worry. It's all. Tell me why. Perfectly satisfactorily. Tell me why, Quinn. (laughs) Don't worry, Nick. It's all fair. Tell me why. (laughs) So he's like, hey, Ziggy's like, so it's true. I don't have any memories from my life as Shiki, but I know that there was another human stranded for 20 years in the future. A woman. And I know she was carrying a child inside of her. But the child had no physical form. It it couldn't it couldn't you know do anything. It wasn't going to survive. So it came to Universe Zero as a mass of pure thought. <laughs> so there was a baby. There was a physical baby in a universe uh, that was Rebecca's and Cheeky's baby, uh, and it somehow went to Universe Zero. Uh, as a mass of pure thought. The Enids won, found it, and through those thoughts, it gained a mechanical body. <laughs> you void! And uh, he's like, yes, I can erase all humans. Um, and we just end the chapter with Ziggy being like, would you kill your own mother? And he's like, no, that human is not my mother. Not yet. Uh, so again, I want to I want to reiterate this because this is the big twist. Shiki and Rebecca. It's not a twist. This is the introduction of this character. <laughs> yeah, that is true. No elements you're really like thrown at us for like teased earlier. So Rebecca and Shiki in the universe where they both went to the future and Rebecca died and was basically hung up naked for, for scientists to like oogle for a couple years. Uh, I just like the way you were reaching for the camera when you said that word. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, a bunch of scientists uh, had her up or whatever, and then Shiki became Ziggy. Uh, in that universe, Ziggy, she, fuck, there's too many goddamn characters' names. Rebecca was pregnant with Shiki's baby. That baby, I guess. From its own will. I don't know why they don't establish that someone's gravity brought it to this universe. They established that the fucking gravity could do that way back with Drac and Joe, and they've never used that detail again. Somehow, Palpatine returned, and somehow this baby made it to Universe Zero 
as a pure platonic idea of Shiki and Rebecca's baby. And the Eden's one found it and was like, I shall build you a robot body. And that body genetically has both of Shiki and Rebecca's power. So it has powers over gravity and time. Yes. So now all the pieces are in place, Nick. We can have our grand final battle against Shiki's future son. This is like the kind of insane legacy character that has to be that some writer who is like the 27th person to write on a comic book series that have been Mm -hmm. running for decades decides to throw in. And so they have to have insane logic to justify where this character came from in order for it to make sense in terms of the time span of things. Because, of course, if like you can't just have like the character be the child of two existing characters because like well then why are they an adult the timeline doesn't make sense so they have to justify it and then because that's not enough they have to go into wild stratospheres of inventive thought in order to come up with it except that this has all been done by a single author (laughs) one person has written this entire story to this point and went to these insane lengths to justify this character that you might as well have just called Another Ziggy from (laughs) a bad timeline. This is ridiculous and it's stupid and this character looks stupid and it might as well just be Ziggy, the character that we've had be the villain of the entire story up to this point. But now this Ziggy's a good guy because reasons. You could have had Ziggy, who is evil, be split off from Ziggy, who is good. We knew that those two sides were in conflict. You could have had one of them jettison the other and that would be it. And then you would have had evil Ziggy and good Ziggy. But instead, they're like, but his son! Wasn't evil Ziggy Eden's one? Like, wasn't that supposed to be the thing that there was a good Ziggy inside, but like a corrupted version of him was the Eden's one corruption kind of uh, filtering into him? Well, you see, Quinn, I'm trying to operate under the assumption that this is the final boss because I want this to end. <laughs> this this has to be the look. I I say that this has to be the end, despite the fact that there are two more members of the Eurasian Six that we know are out there. So I would love if Lady Freya just gets introduced and then fucking Couch Poe runs her over with the car. <laughs> and we just, there was like, oops, sorry, we had to get all the designs out. I gave her big tits, but she couldn't see that car coming. So outrageous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't know why they don't just use a bad Ziki here. There's a ton, there's a ton of like things you could do here. This entire series is about multiverse hopping. This could be uh, an evil Ziggy from another timeline who's like, I don't think you guys should get a happy ending. I didn't get one in my universe. All those people died. So I'm going to come to this one. I'm going to fuck up your chances. This could be Void. This could be Shiki and Rebecca's son. Again, from another universe where things went bad. He's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to take away this chance. Whatever. Whatever logic. You You could justify it. I don't know why Hero went with like the straight up comic book writing. Like you, you, you nailed the 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 hit the hammer on the head or whatever the nail on the head, uh, because this is straight up like 
Oh, Captain America actually wasn't sniped. He was shot with a time bullet that uh, dislodged, or a magic bullet that dislodged his brain in time into another dimension. You're just like, fucking what? I don't, what do you mean that this baby went to another universe by pure thought and it carried its magic abilities with it? What does that mean? Why did this, ro- why did the Eden's, how did the Eden's one find it? Like, what, like, what, what is this? I don't know what any of this means. This is all nonsense. Um, also, I think this might be the first time that we've been told that Ether Gear is genetic. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess we don't know that many people's like that's, explicit that's parents, kind of but right, right. So, um, anyway, yeah, this right. sucked. I, this is this is dumb. But we have so many series to talk about, so no more time spent on it. Let's talk about yeah. uh, Cipher Academy. I think. Yeah, I'm going to stop thinking about this because it makes me angry, and I'll stop thinking about it until next week when I can be angry again. All right, Cipher Academy. Chapter 51, it's best to decode and run away from troublesome things. Uh, so Ensa and Iroha, after getting the jump ahead, thanks to Oprah's sacrifice in the previous chapter, are on floor 175, the question mark floor. Uh, they're in a like traditional Japanese-style house hallway, uh, so they're wandering between screens and stuff, and as Ensa pokes her head into a hall... Suddenly a bunch of shuriken and kunai come flying around from everywhere. A bunch of booby traps go all off at once. And they've got, like, no time to react. Iroha kind of, like, grabs her to try and shield her with his body. And they both flinch up and close their eyes. And then slowly open them when they realize they're not dead. As a bunch of tatami mats have been formed into a barrier around them. uh, By Namasu, the ninja girl who we haven't really gotten to know prior to this point uh and we are introduced as well to her gimmick which is to speak in very 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 abbreviated thoughts like a couple syllables at a time uh instead of speaking full sentences uh she is also a member of the nohime group and Mm. is the person that she basically sent on behalf of like to have representation for her as part of this group and so uh, Nohima kind of gives her a little bit of an introduction and concludes it by referring to her as a, a, a ninja, but instead of calling her a ninja, like Namasu like speaks over it to call herself Niji because she's a ninja. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. At first, I thought it might be like a thing where they were like deliberately covering up the word ninja for like censorship reasons, but they say ninja in the previous page, so that's not it. Whatever. Uh, there's a whole bunch of booby traps throughout this floor, uh, and Namasu uh, is like kind of knows what's going on and how to detect them and stuff. She also says that Omamuro went on ahead of them, uh, but she eventually leads them to a puzzle in the room, which has Tommy mats that are kind of arranged in order to make a slide puzzle. But there's one piece of the slide puzzle which is the princess that they need to have escape the castle is the premise of it. So they need to move stuff around in order to do it. Uh, And so they start, you know, moving stuff around. Namasu uh, thinks back, or Ensa rather thinks back to a conversation she had with Nohime as she's kind of observing Namasu and why she was recommended to go along with it. And then they get to a point where they have the princess uh, mat in front of the exit of the doorway. But it's too wide to fit through the door. So like, what do we do? How how do we get it through here? Uh, But then 
Ensa looks up and realizes that the floor is descending on them. There's a suspended scene that's going to crush them. So Iroha and Ensa you know, dart out through the door, but Namasu stays behind. She's still working on the on the tatami mats. And Iroha's like, what are you doing? If, if you get crushed in here, you get crushed for real. But Namasu pulls her mask down and just says, dream. And Iroha is immediately stopped by this, and he and Ensa both rush back inside, and she, Iroha translates this as, let me stay here until the very last second for my dream. Yeah. Because everyone has dreams, because it's shonen. And uh, so, and they apologize for, you know, not, for basically doubting her that they could do this. Uh, but Ensa kind of gives them a little smile behind the mask, which is very nice that you can actually, like, tell that it's happening. Uh, and uh, so they figure, they Iroha's thinking about what he's got to do about this moment, and eventually he realizes, like, okay, Omomoro and Kubunashi had to make their way through this floor. What do they do? Uh, and he thinks for a second, like, maybe I should just grab these two and get out of here in order to save us, even if it makes them hate me. But then he comes to a realization, and he goes, Limo! And immediately uh, Namasu reacts to this, and she starts flipping tatami mats, and Ensa quickly catches on to what needs to happen, and she uses her real rapid fire uh, physical movement ability to send all of the mats that are being flipped up all flying together out through the exit, and that they dart out just before the ceiling caves in on them. Uh, and so, essentially, it the, the the goal of the puzzle was to cheat essentially yeah, yeah. it was to not do the puzzle and to just lift them up and then knock send them out uh but we close the chapter with uh, namasu extending her hand out to iroha and she goes thank and uh iroha shakes her hand and uh, just ends in a nice little moment after having this little bonding experience mm-hmm. this is not one of the stronger chapters we had recently uh i think that it's just kind of like feels like it flies by honestly but it's okay yeah we're also getting a lot of these like here's a character we didn't give any focus uh for so uh here's their chapter kind of thing uh and i don't have a ton of thoughts on this character i do like that she has the gimmick of like one word one syllable answers uh and i do i think it's actually a very cute moment at the end where she says thank and he's like elementary (laughs) it's actually just kind of a cute moment between them uh, yeah. But yeah, this was not, I think, the strongest chapter in a little bit. Uh, it's good to see that, like, you do feel like these characters have definitely come, come to understand each other very quickly. And I'm sure that that could potentially pay off in the future uh, if we want to have this character do anything else. But yeah. that remains to be seen. But Nick, let's talk about a strong chapter. Okay. Gringy Greens. Yeah, it okay. it is a good chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't. There's, there's no Nick. Look at my face. Do you see an ounce of facetiousness on it? Because I thought I wiped it all off. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> chapter two of Green Green Greens. Just a little more. Uh, last time our hero. Oh gosh, Haku. That's his name. Uh, has discovered golf and. Uh, he uh, kind of realizes, like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of, like, went away and just disappeared in order to play golf. Well, not play golf, but go to a driving range. And when he's asked, like, where'd you go? And he's like, I just felt like doing something new. So I went to the golf range and smacked a few balls there. 
And they're like, wow, never would have guessed that. That sounds kind of fun. I want to go too. And so his crew of friends are like, yeah, okay, let's just go to the, the driving range together after school. And uh, he heads there with them and he's thinking to himself, like, I kind of you know, never figured that like I would have actually even come back here at all. Uh, they meet with a instructor at the golf course who is this very, very friendly looking uh, woman. And uh, she's like, wow, it's it's really nice to see you know, young people playing the game, basically. Uh, so she sets them all up with an area to drive. And then and Haku was thinking to himself, like, OK, you know, like I spent all day yesterday hitting golf balls. So I guess I'll hit some more. <laughs> but he tries swing and immediately <laughs> farts out a really bad one. Uh, and everyone kind of is like, <laughs> nice shot. And, uh, I hit it. I usually hit it. <laughs> And he gets frustrated, like, I, I've spent all that time playing yesterday. I should be better at this. But uh, his baseball player friend, who's very athletic, steps up. And Yohaku's like, okay, I warn you, it's pretty hard. And he swings the golf club. and Perfect. <laughs> it arcs out very beautifully. And he's like, how did you do that? And he's like, I mean, I've been swinging a baseball bat for 14 years. There's some parallels there. <laughs> yeah. So Haku is a little bit disappointed because he's like, I spent all that time practicing. I figured I would be the best at it. You know, uh, everyone you knows is playing and they've got like separate areas now this time. Uh, but his friends start to go and Haku decides to stay behind because he's like, yeah, I just want to play a little bit longer. And his friend says, like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we're back in, in junior high when the two of us would go to the batting cages. You were always the one who got more into it than I did. I'm happy that you found something that you like. And Haku's like, I wouldn't say I like it. Really? And Haku's like, got a look in his eyes. That like, he's, these. Sub, this has got his hooks into him. He wants to do this well. And he says like, look, I'm not, I'm not obsessed. I'm not super into this. I'm not putting my all into this. And he's, even though he's got the golf gloves this time that were given to him by Oga, uh, he's still getting calluses on his hands and he just goes at it, goes at it. And eventually he's you know worn himself down. He's exhausted doing it. He still can't hit the good drives and he collapses back into a chair. He's like, why, why can't I do this? Why can't I hit it? Well, and the woman who was working the counter before comes over to him and she says, you really want to know I can teach you. Oh, I, 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 other series I've seen start this way, Nick. <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> so, and you know what they usually end with? Uh, Love. hitting the golf ball. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Oga shows up at the driving range and she greets the woman who's working at the counter, who she dresses as Coach Mizuza. And, uh, she's like, You can just call me Michan. It's like, you, No, I will not do that. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, Oga hears someone is hitting drives and she's like yeah she, I can tell from the sound that he's hitting it dead center every time unfaltering rhythm the person's pretty good uh, and she even mistakes this for being a competitive golfer because of that but it's Haku and Haku is you know he's still going at it and he's repeating the advice that was given to him by Mizuza, which is like, look, you're not planting your feet and you're wobbling. You don't have a good foundation. So try imagining there's a wall on the left side of your body 
your body can't go past that wall. So he imagines, like, okay, plant my feet. There's a wall here. Don't go past the wall. But as he's doing it, he's thinking to himself, working hard's not my thing. Why even try? And he swings the golf club, and he swings it through this imaginary wall that he has set up to train himself not to go past. And the wall breaks as he goes past this. This... this, beautiful double meaning this is an incredible visual i've always said i love uh watching people like the there's a line in in haikyuu where it's like a wall is just something else to overcome or something like that it's like one of those quotes that like really has always stuck with me and like that kind of visual right there captures that same feeling uh as he breaks through it's really really good this is an amazing moment this is why i love sports yeah. manga yeah i love that you know the reason the wall is there is like practical he's imagining it but then he imagines breaking through it because visual storytelling it's yeah uh and so yeah he's gotten way better at driving after practicing on this advice and working on it now uh oga comes up to him because you know she's you know here to practice and work as well and they greet each other and 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 haku is like uh it's embarrassing I don't really know why it's embarrassing, but it is because she saw me like getting really into it and getting really serious. He gets really self-conscious. So he's like, all right, fine. I'll just, I'm just going just to hit the rest of the balls that I got and then I'm going to go home. And immediately he starts collapsing. He, he's sloppy. He's losing it. And he's like, the magic's gone. I lost, I lost it. And now he's also all worked up. He's all gross and sweaty. So he's like, I got to go to school after this. I better showering than at home. Uh, and uh, so he, he you know, very casually like, says goodbye to her and, and goes off, meets up with Mizuza at the front desk, and she gives him his total, which is about 20 bucks. And he's like, oh, my God, I've spent way too much time here. <laughs> way too many balls. <laughs> uh, and he's like, look, I can't, I, I can't keep up this hobby. I'm going to go broke immediately. That's it. I mean, it's, it's fine. He I'm very, I did. Yeah, he very specifically starts to be like, this is fine. This was enough that, like, in the future... I could be like, oh, yeah, I'll go out golfing with you as an adult yeah. with friends. And so, like, he's already, like, put this into its own niche into his life. Like, I'm not interested in this as something passionate. Not, this will just be it. a little hobby they do as an adult. Yeah. And he's like, I'm, yeah, this isn't getting, worth getting worked up over. I've got all this time to spend that I could be spending on other stuff. Uh, and even if I were to get good, it wouldn't necessarily even lead to anything. And then as he's having all these thoughts, Mizuza just says to him, yeah, you had you know, some really good shots. They had a good sound to them. You're going to get even bit better. And Haku stares at her for a second. And he just says, I want to. That's so cute. You know, I and love his little passion there. He, his, he breaks down his little barrier about being too cool for all this and everything. Just be like, I want to get better. Yeah, he's like, I don't know what to do, though. I don't know what I want to do with my life. And Musica just says, the first thing is just to keep on taking shots. Even if you just get lucky, it'll help you recognize the ideal you. Golf is a sport about recreating that ideal. And Haku takes a second, looks at the amount of money he just spent today again, and uh, he's like, uh, I'll be back. He starts to head off. I mean, Zuzza says, you know, we've got a part-time opening over the summer. You can get to use the driving range for free. And immediately he spins around. I'll do it. And uh, he 
says to himself as we end the chapter for the first time, I can really feel summer coming. He's looking forward to it. He's got something to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, it's This is great. This is a great chapter. I love it. We are slowly building up what this character's entire personality and drive is where it's like, oh, no, I'm not actually that interested. I'm not obsessive. Like his one friend brings it up and he's like, oh, no, in fact, I'm actually done for the day. Let's just go home. And then like shows up back there the next morning or whatever. And he's like so passionate. He's like, I got to I got to do it again. Um, and I, it's just very charming to see this guy who's built up something in his brain who is uh through whatever trauma or whatever nonsense is like in his head is like decide he has to compartmentalize passion and like keep it from showing up is just finding it like flowing to the forefront it's very very cool and like captures what i love about sports series there's just like an intensity to it that's awesome and amazing it's a thing that a lot of people have to deal with, which is insulating yourself from becoming invested in something so that you protect yourself from a feeling of failure yeah. when you come up short, despite all the effort that you put into it. And of course, what that ultimately does is, yes, you protect yourself from disappointment, but also it prevents you from accomplishing a lot of things because you don't put what you could into those things. And it's, really good to have something like this honed in on that aspect of it where it's not just like oh you know go and follow your dreams and stuff it's like having a very grounded version of that of like acknowledging that yeah that is a problem but look at what you could do if you did do it so yeah it's nice good 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 stuff nick let's keep that let's keep these good feelings a rolling chapter 12 preparations so there is a plan to get this shogo guy uh then there's a uh, man there's a plan panama yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> the cops go in order to enact on their plan shiba's like how you feeling jihiro and jihiro's like it hurts. Like, still move. Gotta kill Sojo. And Shiba flashes back to when he was young and Azami was young and Jihiro's dad was young and they were dicking around and basically contrasting that with Jihiro, who's super serious and boring. Uh, and, uh, but Nick, he says, how, like, oh, how, you're a prodigy. How, how can you say that? There's a great penis joke in there, I believe. <laughs> I think that is it. I, I, I assume this is a penis joke. Yeah. Uh, phone rings. Cut away. Uh, so there's some guards there talking about stuff, and they're like, I don't know why we need all these sorcerer guards. Sojo just goes around without any bodyguards. But they're like, yeah, but he's tough on his own. Anyway, cut away from there. Sojo is hanging out in a men's bath, just like chilling in it uh, by himself think he reflects on the conversation he had with Chihiro and uh, how like he had never heard about Rokuhira having a child but he's like I mean I guess it's possible though and then he thinks about how Chihiro's like oh the swords are to defeat evil and protect the weak and so just like no no you're wrong Uh, some guys come in and they're like it's the product from the other day and deliver a thing in a little compartment uh, probably has to do with the stuff that they got from Char. 
Uh, and so just like, you came here to bring it back? Yeah, that was the agreement. You're the one who said the stone is traceable. And then I immediately have to take back what it actually is. Because uh, I remember what it was. It has to do. It has to do with like the potential of like, fucking swords and stuff. It's the raw ore, whatever they used to make magic swords with, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they say that because because he asked like, "Did you crush the enemy group?" Yes. Our sorcerer's body blew up. That wasn't part of the deal. He was the backbone of our operation. How are you going to compensate us? And so it just says. Look, I said you get the power to handheld power on par with the enchanted blades, and that it would blow you away. But um, bum. So they go to kill him. He kills them instead. The bath is filled with their blood. Cool. Uh, and then uh, he just uh, gets out and just uh, cleans himself off. And uh, he thinks to himself, "We're doing everything perfectly. What's missing? It's our lack of understanding of the enchanted blades." Isn't and, it super uh, cool? We establish this dude. He just kills everybody. This is yeah, like a wild cool. character. Yeah. So he's like, I got to go and fight that Jihiro guy again, because if he's Kunishige's son, I have to show him. And in order for that to happen, I need to fully understand the blade. And then he leaves. Uh-huh. And then uh, the cops show up. They are like, Hey, we're going to pose on these rooftops because this is a great way to launch an ambush. We could have been waiting around the corner and sprung on this guy as soon as he came out of the bathhouse, but we're going to stand up here and introduce ourselves. Because they're very cool, Nick. They're very, very, very cool. Very cool. He starts to use Cloud Gouger because they didn't get a drop on him, and so he's able to unleash the attack. Meanwhile, some of those guards that were chatting before, they notice a goldfish. Ooh. <laughs> And Chihiro has appeared, and he's killed some of the other guards. And there's a very weird cut where we just focus on one of their cell phones, which is sitting on the table. And what happens is that Chihiro, like, kills all the people there except for one guy who answers the phone. And he makes up some shit so that, you know, like, he doesn't give away that Chihiro's there because Chihiro will kill him. And then he's like, what do you want? And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, um, not good. Uh, we have so many series, though, I don't really want to sit here and talk about why it sucks. Uh, oh, God, New Sexorcist. This is really a bad New Sexorcist! <laughs> Chapter 29. This is weird. So, there's... it's it's The sibling's father is the chapter title. Uh, Nui has a conversation with the captain about... Gakuro's dad and she said was like oh, yeah when I was 16 I joined his squad and then literally a month later she, he just came up to me and, and asked me to be the vice captain and Noe's like well, are you bragging he's like no he was doing something insane and stupid who does that uh, and yeah but the previous vice captain was just like yeah okay alright so Noe's like oh so he was a smooth talker and she says, well, he didn't look like it, but I kind of thought that was the case, too. But what made him stand out wasn't that. When he became captain, the squad changed a great deal. Branch 4 used to be a worse hellhole than it is now. Squad members were expected to be sacrificed to maintain the peace. And in one year, over 46 people had died in the line of duty. Our manpower was decreasing at an alarming rate, which is exactly why a squad 4 captain with the ability to recruit people was deemed necessary. But things are different now. He changed everything. He created cooperative relationships with the other squads. When I became captain, a system to manage the territory without any sacrifices had already been established. So he was good organizer. Yep. 
Okay. Compelling. Yeah. Uh, but then he died. And according to her, from what I heard, he was killed on duty fighting a horde of level twos. But even he could take on 20 or 30 of those without any issue. These things are not dangerous in any way. Who shape, gives or a shit about them, really? <laughs> it wouldn't be a surprise if he stuck his nose into something nobody else had noticed. For example, a group of level fours who remain unidentified to this day. Whoa. We also get uh, more of a specific visual of uh, Gakuro and his dad in that moment. And his dad's hand uh, was like ripped off, but it's still sitting on his head, which I think is meant to be like horrifying. But like all I could think about is like the practicality of how that would happen. And it's very amusing to be the like. All right, I'm going to destroy this guy. I can't at his kid, though, because I want the hand to kind of, like, sit on his head and for him to grow up and be a, a real wiener. So Maybe if Gakura had a scar of some kind in that area, at least. Something. Uh, anyhow, Shitotsu and Gakura were still being forced to, you know, just hit, hang out in the same room. And Chitotsu wakes up Gakuro. She's made food and she's still kind of being mean to him. We get a reestablishment of why they need to get along. And now we just see that they're like just hanging out, but like kind of griping at each other. So like Chitotsu is literally like got her head sitting on Gakuro's knee while they're like reading and looking at cards and stuff and complaining about the door not opening. And then uh, she like kind of like butts her head against his leg for a bit and Gakura's like stop that and eventually pulls his head out of the leg and she's like ah and punches him and then they go back to just kind of like chilling out together and everyone observes like wait they actually have a close relationship and Nui says they've rekindled their old bond after several days so we've gone from Shitotsu hates Gakuro for being weak wants nothing to do with him to they're just kind of like being normal rambunctious siblings who get on each other's nerves mm-hmm. off panel okay so but it's still not enough they, they they need to break down the wall between their hearts but and they need a, a help with that and, and and food is delivered to them it's rosy sea bass which means a lot to both of them so she talks to us like ah and takes out a cutting board and she's like i'm gonna prepare this fish you stay out of the way but instead gakuro takes out a cutting board and puts it on apron and is like no i'll take care of it too and let's work on it together and she just like why would i serve the likes of you something tasty and knocks it down i was gonna make you bad sushi so you shut up and sit over there and gakuro's like are you sure you want to make sushi wouldn't it be easier to grill it and she pushes him again and he, ah, i fell <laughs> And she's just like, stay out of the way. And Gakura says, why are you trying to cook even though it's my turn? Is it because today is the day our dad died? <laughs> so fucking stupid. I hate this series, Nick. She told she says, so you remembered. Yes, he remembered the anniversary of when his father was killed in front of murdered, him. murdered in front of him. <laughs> How did you remember that, Gakuro? Wow. <laughs> and then we get a flashback to a time that they went to a sushi bar, the two of them and their dad together. And they had tasty sushi that they both liked. And uh, they 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 were being all like uh, they were being a happy family together. 
And they're like, oh, man, isn't this sea bass sushi really tasty? Let's have as much as you want, kids. So she totally reflects on that. And they're like, okay. And they, uh, she like chops it up really, really badly. And Gakuro knocks her on the head because it's cool when siblings are violent with each other. And then Gakuro remembers when she was a kid and would try and help out with food prep and was a clumsy kid that would drop stuff. So instead, Gakuro's like, let's make it into Gunkan Sushi as a tribute to our dead dad! And uh, so they are like making stuff. They're working out stuff together. They're like back-to-back working on different parts of it. Shitatsu says, like, it sucks that you're a captain. Are you stupid? Do you want to end up like our dead dad? And Gakuro says, I won't! Okay. So Shitosu says, well, you're going to at this rate. And But Gakuro says, you'll protect me, so I'll be okay. And I'll protect you too. And Shitotsu does this like kind of over the shoulder, little like kind of hug and kind of like presses her cheek to cheek against him. And she's like, how gross you are. You want me to go so far even though we're not related by blood? This is so weird. It's uh, deeply strange. A fact established last chapter that made a lot more sense when a, another character said it, as yeah. opposed to one of the characters in the relation in in the sibling dynamic saying it. Right. So uh, she excuses herself, and before they finish the sushi, but when they go out uh, around the main area, Gakura realizes that the door is open because hey, their bond strengthened. Isn't that nice? Mission complete. Except, oh no, they're not related by blood. And they're that close. Oh no, that is said literally out yeah. loud. Suo, Suo is very upset about the fact that there's another competitor for Gakura at some point. I've never seen so many women chase such a big loser before. Um, look, uh, people in our Discord, like Ninja, messaged me, and other people were like, "This is actually a good chapter of this series." Yeah. You're all wrong. I have no <laughs> idea what you guys got out of this chapter. Like, I know we're kind of rushing through it, so like we're not catching all the little details. But this was like, hey, we introduced a character last week who's an antagonist, uh, uh, Gakro. And then uh, by the end of the chapter, she's like, maybe you're not so bad. And all they did was like make sushi. It's just dumb. I like this series is just dopey and like tries to keep lifting stuff from Bleach. I I don't know what to tell you. This isn't good. You're all you're all under Stockholm at this point, I think. I think that people were captivated by the fact that she chose to make some silly expressions in this chapter, which is true. But any thing about this chapter that could have been good i think is completely undercut by the fact that it starts off by going oh yeah 80 percent of the groundwork that led to this development possibly happening happened off screen and i'm just going to have a different dynamic for them to start from to have this yeah. breakthrough it lazy there was yeah there's nothing that like caps got us from last week to this week it's it anyway nick we have a new series to talk about <laughs> Look, guys, you know what you can never have too much of? Exorcist manga. Uh-huh. Never have too many of them. Give me more of them. Give me every single one has to have an exorcist manga. I ki- I am not exaggerating when I say I looked at what the new series was and I saw it was called Shadow Eliminators. I literally went, no, and closed the app for an hour and then came back to it. This... This name is 
awful. This belongs in like the pantheon of worst names. I like. I know somebody was like, "Well, would you want untranslated?" Like, yes. This is straight up sorcery fight. Like, this sounds awful. <laughs> Shadow Eliminators is what I, I called the series that I wrote when I was in high school Power Battlers, okay? That's on the exact <laughs> same level. Shadow Eliminators is nonsense. Oh, my God. Uh, what is it? What is this in called in Japanese? One second. Root, root, moo. Ruyu Ruyu Senki. I understand why why it's called Shadow Eliminators because <laughs> I I went, but still, uh, I'm not going to go into details on this. Yeah. It's look, everyone that has talked about this in the Discord that I've seen doesn't like the glasses guy in this because he's a narc, and I understand that. Aww, I kind of liked him. He was like Joe from Digimon. He's not that bad, all things considered. Honestly. The dynamic is that he is, you know, like the disciplinary committee guy. He's very strict about rules and stuff. Uh, and then the actual exorcist of the series is much more loose. He's new in school. His name is Alba. And he's come to the high school, quote, to train. Uh, and that basically means that there's bad spirit juju going around, which seems to originate from and feed on negative things that are happening with people like negative emotions that are kind of kept under the surface uh so the first thing they encounter is a minor incident where there is a female student where stuff is happening and she's upset she's like jealous over a different girl uh rule enforcer guy comes across this situation and is kind of just thrown into all of this and it turns out he's got enough of a level of sense uh, a sense the sensory abilities Sha- shadow eliminator chi right but of course he doesn't have powers to deal with stuff alba deals with it does the exorcism uh he's knocked out by it is brought back to where the guy lives with his grandmother uh yeah. and his 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 waifu grandmother uh it's, and i don't want to talk about this too much we have so much to still get to but uh brala did send me the uh one shot for this which uh maybe i'll give more of my thoughts on next week but the one thing like the first like big thing that stood out to me in in the one shot his grandma is just a grandma it's just an old lady and i was like they really they really pumped up her looks in, in this version i see jesus christ uh and so they kind of establish like the rules for how stuff works here. If things get really, really bad, then they turn into hollows, which no comment. Uh, so <laughs> uh, then we get glasses guy having a flashback, which basically is he doesn't care about the idea of justice. He just wants to protect people from injustice, which he does by enforcing rules which in a way makes sense. But then you think about how like he gets mad at people for like being late to class. And it's like, I don't think this is protecting anyone. So whatever. Uh, he goes back to the school and comes across their teacher who has a bunch of negative emotions from not being able to, you know, deal with her students effectively. And so the demon thing that's possessed her is going to kill all the girls and stuff. But glasses guy stands up to it, puts himself in moral danger in order to do it. Uh, Alba comes in at the last second in order to save him and stuff. Uh, and he's like, oh, but you're going to be in danger too. And he's like, no, nah, I'm fine. He's super strong and stuff. Uh, and he establishes that, you know, like that he 
uh, doesn't hesitate because in the past I couldn't protect the person I needed to protect. I couldn't stop the person I needed to stop. Atonement. And his superpower thing is a is handcuff appearing on his wrist. Okay. And it helps him summon a big demon shadow thing with bandages around it and stuff. And uh, he has a sword that cuts through people, doesn't harm their bodies, it just slays the demons possessing them and eliminates them and destroys them. And so afterwards, they've saved the teacher and then they set up a club to basically um, be personal help people. Uh-huh. Like, to like actually, the, the idea is like, we'll find people who have problems and help them with the problems, but then if it's really bad and they have a shadow haunting them, then you'll cut through it. So it's like, all right. Yeah. End of uh, chapter. It's it's fine. Uh, we'll probably say more, I think, next week, just because there's a lot going on there. I will just say, like, yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, amateurish elements in this that you're just, or I should say amateurish, derivative elements of this. Yes. So it's like, okay, we've seen this in a hundred other Exorcist series or things. Like, I was like, okay, Persona 4, like, I get it, you know, like. The idea of like dealing with people's crimes via uh, the way of fighting monsters is is a well worn uh, path. Yep. Uh, Nick, I want to propose something to you. What is your proposal, Quinn? We just don't talk about two on ice this week. But it's the most interesting chapter in months. <laughs> I'm closing the pan. I'm closing the tab. We have to go to Lucy Samurai Nick. Um, Fatal, <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's all handsome and stuff, and he looks down on people who tribe, and he doesn't like people and stuff. This... And it turns out the advice that he gave Kisara was because he's an asshole. It wasn't actually legitimate advice. He was a dick. This is already too much discussion for me, Nick. We, 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 Part one, beginning. <laughs> it's the beginning of the saga, Quinn. Nick, we have to talk about uh, Akie and Elusive Samurai. His no! Backstory. You want to skip Elusive Samurai? Nick, is that what you're suggesting? We skip Elusive Samurai? No. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say yes. We can move right to Akane Minashi. <laughs> <laughs> I was really like, I'm about to like zoom through. I this I am not going to spend much time on Akie's I had to be a dick to people because they wouldn't listen to me anyways backstory. Oh boohoo. I couldn't relate to people because I was highborn and stuff. So I decided to be a holier than thou asshole. And that's how I found a middle ground with them. Fuck you, you little prick. Uh that's the story. Uh and then it shows like, oh, and he worked really hard in order to relate to people by drinking their grog but insisting on drinking it from a really fancy mug okay okay Mm -hmm. uh and he's like really determined to help out his people and he's like we're going to do all this stuff in order to kill takauji take kyo and have the mikado listen to my counsel so that i can make changes for the benefit of all and stuff uh and so he's like i acted while beset by all these concerns have you words to console me tokyuki and Tokyo starts to go like really sincere and understanding, like, yeah, I understand, you know, why the Osho warriors pillaged under you. But when caught between ideals and reality, you continue to hoist the standard of ideals. And in my eyes, and Akia is like, who asked you for your pity? Fuck you. It's like, you asked him. You asked him for words to console him. You're an asshole. Yeah, Fuck you're, you, you're, Akia. You're, you're the dickhead here, bud. You're yelling at a 12 year old who is doing what you asked of him. Fuck you. Uh, 
but then we just get like a weird like montage because it's like and on their journey akia adopted new habits he began summoning tokyuki he would thrash me at go he taught me strategy and dance he summoned the loser samurai and nita dono for lengthy chats these were idle hours for lord akia but it's what he needed for a young general facing harsh reality Idle hours in the company of children provided respite for his busy mind. Ah, oh, man. I'm so glad I have children around for me to be an asshole, too, like I'm an asshole to everyone. What a relatable character. Next series. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk about Akane Vinashe, Nick. Uh, you love Tanuki stories. You've always been talking about it. You're like, I'm always talking about Tanuki stories. Yeah, you're, you're always <laughs> like, you know, I like this game, Sly Cooper, but if it starred instead of a raccoon, a Tanuki... I'd really love this story. <laughs> he said the same yeah. thing about Final Fantasy uh, X, too. <laughs> Actually, you're like, I like these girls, but if it starred three Tanukis who changed clothes instead, I would actually enjoy this Tanuki story a lot more. <laughs> yeah, with uh, Yuna and um, the others. How dare, how dare you forget Riku? Riku! Come Riku. on! And... And the other one. I mean, pain. But yeah, that it's it's understandable to forget pain. Okay. Uh, Tanuki Stories with a very cartoonish cover. It's very colorful and, and cute. Uh, all right. We skip ahead in the timeline uh, after the Arakawa New Breeze, which we, of course, saw Koguma's performance at. And Asagao is greeting Rokuro. And uh, they're kind of like... Um, out and about in like kind of the front area outside of uh, the Rakugo Hall and uh, Asuka's like hey you came out to see the show I really wanted to show my appreciation uh, but Rokuro says like I think the Master Chocho is asking the impossible of you I mean you're at a Zenza event you're lucky to break double digits and he wants you to get 50 that's that's crazy plenty of Futatsume couldn't even get that but when they get to the hall they see that there's quite a few people in attendance. It's not 50 yet, but there's by Rokuro's count over 30 people. And he notices that a lot of them are kids. They're it's a very young audience. So he's like, what, what's going on here? And of course he gets there just in time for an introduction and Akane comes out in her Tanuki uh, uh, onesie and she says, it's me, Tanugan! Welcome to the Rakugo Zoo! And the children are like, yay! <laughs> Um, so Rokuro has no context for this, of course, like, what is happening? <laughs> um, and Asuka says, like, yeah, so we held this event at the end of October, and it has been a really big hit with the younger audience, and we got another date out of it. Uh, so Rokuro's Ruk- like, okay, so you changed tactics and you leaned into your audience. But Asuka says, that's not all of it. And uh, Akane launches into her story and she says, like, hey, there's there's lots of Rakugo stories about people, but there's also a bunch about animals and there's a big variety among them, too. And this is a story about a shape-shifting Tanuki. And she starts, you know, going like, hey, it's me, the Tanuki, you know, big high register and stuff. And she's says that tells the story of Tanuki money, which is about a man named Hachigoro who rescued a Tanuki and then it came back to thank him and offers to transform to repay his debt. And so, uh, you know, 
the, like the, the Tsuki is insisting like, oh, I've got to repay you because the others will mock you. And they'll be like, they'll say, what are you, a human? And the guy's like, I, what, uh, I'm a human. <laughs> Gets offended by it. Kids laugh. And uh, so it's going out over well. The uh, guy's like, well, you could transform into like money for me. But then when it transforms, he's a giant $10, $10 bill that he can't spend, basically. Uh, and Rokuro realized like she's like really good at this style of performance. And Asuka, you know, just kind of breaks it down like, yeah, she learned this story just for this event. And she's got the voice for it because you know she's you know a young woman instead of a guy so she can do these cartoonish animal voices and she's been doing all sorts of uh, stories for this event and Rokuro steps back and analyzes this and he realizes that you know Akane was this person who he got she got into squabbles backstage but now she's doing fetching tea I guess it suits her She's kind of a Tanuki in her own way. She's a shapeshifter, which is a very cool yeah. description for a character to have. Like an actor kind of character, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Akane's performance, she uh, you know gets to talk with Rokuro backstage. I like that you know she's partially taken the costume off, so but she's still got the hood draped around her neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and you know, he, he congratulates her, but she says like, yeah, the older guys are all pushing ahead though. So I've got to try and keep up with them. And Koreshi's like, wait until you're ahead of me before you talk about catching up with other people. And, and she's start, they start bickering. Cause Kai's like, I won today. I won the last round. And they're just yeah. fighting over who would did the better performance. And Asuka was like, shut up. <laughs> just someone else here. Uh, and he, but he does say like, they're good motivation for me. Uh, I love that in the background, they've decided to settle this with paper, rock, scissors. <laughs> That's not what decided who won today. <laughs> um, and uh, Asuka's like, uh, Rokuro says, you know, it's got to be tough. And Asuka's like, well, I've got to keep them in line. I'm the oldest. No, no, no. I mean, the booking for you Tatsume debut event. Master Chocho's got some wild ideas. If that marquee comes together, it's going to draw all the attention of the Rakugo world. Considering the need to draw an audience for your study events, just let me know if I can do anything to help out. Uh, and then uh, Roko says, have you decided who you guys want as an opener for your debut? And Asuka says, well, that's something I'm deciding now. And rather meaningfully, it cuts to Koreshi and Akane again at that point, which seems to imply it might be one of the two of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Koreshi won. favorite uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. sisters. <laughs> I just, Co- this is very much like real, like Law interacting with Luffy long enough that you realize yeah. Law is just as childish as Luffy. <laughs> it does, yeah. Koreshi was like, oh, you know, I've I'm got all my plans. This. I've got my marketing. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> I win. I win. I'm the best. <laughs> uh, we cut away to a conversation about, um, molecules and dosages and stuff uh, cement uh yeah mixture details and you're like well who would be talking about that and wouldn't you know it it's akane's father uh who uh says like yeah uh i'm gonna be heading back home uh and because and uh he's like i've got some business to, to clear up back there and we see that he's just gotten a phone call from chocho 
Nick! <laughs> Nick! This is crazy. Win. This is crazy. Yeah. The, the implication seems to be that he might be doing Bakugo. Yeah. Like, Master Chocho's got weird ideas. It's going to throw the whole world into fucking chaos if yep. this marquee comes together. The idea that something like this, I don't know. I don't know exactly where this is going to go. That seems to be the implication that I'm getting right now. And I'm like, holy shit, that's really, really exciting. Um, like, I completely forget that this is, like, as we were reading this chapter, I completely forgot that was the end of it until we got to the end and I flipped the page. And I was like, fuck, yeah, her dad, goddamn. <laughs> this, is uh, cool, this is a cool chapter. It's a nice chapter to like, just kind of like get you excited about stuff that's going on. It makes you feel invested in these little things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, oh look, Akane, she's you know continuing to evolve by putting on a silly costume and performing for children. You know, make the best of every circumstance. But every you, we keep getting reminders that everyone's got all this stuff going on. The wheel is turning. Yeah, yeah. really, really good stuff. But Nick, it's a big milestone. We've got to talk Time. about it. To be sad. <laughs> Chapter 1,100. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, lots of stuff to talk about. Nick, we're still in the flashback with Kuma. It looks like we're getting pretty close to the end, though. We open with Borsellino showing up at Punk Hazard because he's like... I'm wearing a hat in this time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's like, hey, good to see you there, Vegapunk. How are things going? Like, oh, they're going great. I'm building the world of science here. He's like, yeah. Feels like you don't know this whole lab yet, though. So maybe you shouldn't be negotiating with pirates. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and he's like, oh, be quiet, you. And I don't know why we see Drake is like a Marine there, I guess, for flavor or world building. He's not relevant. The rest of it, who cares? Instead, <laughs> uh, uh, Borsalino is there to bring a Denden Mushi to uh, J- St. J. Garcia Saturn to Vegapunk. So St. J. Garcia Saturn could be like, so this may not matter to you, but this is like a very dangerous pirate and we can't have clone soldiers of him going around. It would shame the navies for us to have soldiers of this, of this caliber, basically. But I have some conditions that could work. So he's talking to Kuma. He's like, so you joined seven warlords, Uh, a rookie named Ace recently knocked out one of the seven and we've been searching for a replacement. You would be that ideal replacement. Cool little mention of Ace. This is not a character I think we know about. Once Kuma joins, this is the Seven Warlords we know, and I don't think... And you've got an animal name, so it'd be perfect. Yeah, they're like, this actually works out really well, because the last dude was just called Lazarus, and that's not an animal. I don't even know what that is. That doesn't work at all. And we tried to be like, well, what about if you were Lazarus the lemur? And he's like, I don't know what that is. So (laughs) I'm actually pretty good. Ace killed him. (laughs) I didn't mention that. He's dead now. Um, so he's like, all right, second condition, Kuma, you must become a weapon for the Navy. And Kuma's like, you mean like, yeah, we're going to be, uh, implies it's talking about Jinbei. I don't believe so. Jinbei's still a, uh, warlord at that point, I think. He is. Yeah. So I don't, I, I think it's someone else. I know when there's like a Boichi side comic where Ace fights like the original giraffe user. But I don't think that's like a canon thing at all. So I don't I don't know. 
anyway, a little flavor beat detail there. Uh, they're like, yeah, we're going to turn you into a cyborg, Kuma. We're going to we're going to use you as a weapon in the military. And they're like, well, this would be a big help to the Navy. Like Borsalino's like it would really boost our forces. Uh, but he's also like, but you have like a reputation of like being a revolutionary like that was part of your past so we obviously can't have that power turned against the government so the last condition is you give up your free will <laughs> um vegapunk is of course very outraged by this like how could you do this this would bring reduce him to nothing you would effectively be killing him this is is crazy you want me to kill this man uh, and Jager, you know, Saturn's like, no, look, you don't get to make demands here. These are my conditions. If you want your daughter's life, you have to go ahead and uphold these. And Kuma is crying at this point. And, you know, Vegapunk's like, no, this is murder. We can't. And he's like, I'm so grateful. I was so worried that the demands you would ask me would be impossible. And I would have gotten this close to saving Bonnie's life and failed. So I will gladly accept my fate if it means curing uh, Bonnie's disease. And we can see Puma is just crying at this point. Um, and we start getting some little details. They're like, okay, uh, while like we see Bonnie running through the lab and everything like that. So how long will it take for Kuma's transformation to take effect and the treatment of the diseases? Six months to treat her sapphire scales. And then after that, another year where she kind of has to stay inside before she can go outside and then she'll be considered completely cured. It'll take about two years to complete Kuma's procedure and turn him into a fully autonomous, like, mind-controlled weapon. Uh, and Kuma's just so excited because he's like, oh, God, she'll be cured by her 10th birthday. This works out just great. Like, just like you promised. <laughs> I, my really saves me from having to admit that was a lie. <laughs> Oh, man, this way I don't have to get her a pony as an apology. <laughs> uh, but St. Saturn is like, look, your daughter's also going to have to be your hostage because there's going to be a period where like a year and a half long period after she's been cured and your mind like you you'll still have free will. So we need to basically have her as a bargaining chip that if you decide to go after us or go against the world government in any way after she's been treated uh, she will become a slave, basically. You have to continue working as a warlord no matter what until your mind is completely gone, basically. Uh, and uh, Kuma's like, shit, I will never meet with her then. Like, I'm not, I, please don't <laughs> make my daughter a slave. Nothing, anything but that. But I do have a request. Can you not have her, first and foremost, don't tell her about the disease. I don't want her to ever know she was sick. And also, instead of putting her in like a like a awful government like facility of some kind, can you put her in the uh, church that she grew up in in the uh, Shore Bay Kingdom? And if you do that, I promise I will never visit her, and I'll do everything commanded me. And Saint Saturn's like, sure, sounds good. Uh, as long as the understanding uh, is is clear, this works, and this should prove to be. An interesting two years. It's so sad. So it is. we we go over and Kuma's like, hey, Bonnie, you're going to be staying here for the next six months. And she's like, with you too, daddy? And he's like, yeah, you know what? They did some tests on me and I have a disease in me too. And I have to go undergo a test. And it's so cute. She's like, yay, disease twins. Yeah. Um, 
So, also, she says, this guy said tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> this guy. Uh, and honestly, at that point, we get like the the, the foreshadowing that Vegapunk is going to create his satellites by being him being like, I have so many ideas. I must let them all out. We just basically get like a time skip of a whole bunch of things, uh, both of them undergoing their different operations, uh, them kind of being a little bit of a family in this weird lab with like Vegapunk and Borsalino, who's kind of watching over them. They're all eating pizza. Uh, she draws a little picture of him and she's like, daddy. And it's very, very cute. It's like him smiling. Uh, and eventually they even dance. They dance to the, the fucking do. joy boy theme. They do the Nika point. dance to, yeah. together. Yeah. Uh, so six months have passed by and she's good now. She just needs to wait a year before she's completely cured. And she's like, Oh, can I come back when I'm cured? Of course. Foreshadowing. She eventually does. Um, and, uh, we go over to, uh, Sorbet Kingdom, uh, and, oh, Kuma has to say goodbye now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. we do get to see that Connie is there and she's going to be the one watching over Bonnie from here on in. And he's like, yeah, I'm a pirate. I can't be here now, but, uh, I'll be back. Like, uh, won't be back for at least a year, uh, Bonnie. And, uh, that's when Cypherpole shows up. I thought this was Khalifa originally. Me too. Which... Looks exactly like her except she wears different clothes <laughs> she's, she's slightly different design like clothing wise but i have to assume this is an intentional decision we'll find out this is like khalifa's little sister or something like that in an sbs like some irrelevant detail this is basically just meant to be the uh threat looming over kuma's head to make sure he doesn't go against his words because she's like i'll snap your goddamn neck <laughs> your child's neck if you try to come back here so they go away we get a very, very cool. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't close. I shouldn't have skipped past this. He he goes up to Bonnie and pats her on the head and says, I know. And it thinks to himself, I know I'm not coming back. So for him, he knows this is his goodbye. He just wants to say thank you for being born, Bonnie. It's very, very sweet. And she's just kind of like, what? She's just, uh huh. <laughs> uh, we get a montage then of Kuma being announced as the new warlord. His presence causing a shift radically. Uh, and we see a montage of basically all the other warlords re reacting to his inclusion. Doflamingo and, and Crocodile and, and Jimbe when he's with Ace and the Whitebeard Pirates and you know all these different characters. And it's very cool because this is only... And the future warlord, Alvida. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Buggy's an emperor at this point, so... That's true. Um She's not far off. Just a couple, just a couple links up that chain. Uh, but what's very cool is this is very close to like One Piece when it starts. So we're seeing characters kind of in the machinations that they were at when One Piece. Like we're seeing Crocodile with Robin when she was still Miss All Sunday, and he's like, "Oh, did anyone find out about our rainmaking ship and stuff like that?" And you yeah. have to assume Gecko Moria is just returned from getting his ass handed to him by Kaido. Yeah. It's kind of it's really funny because uh, you know Mori is recovering and Perona is floating around talking about with him about it and it's like ah yes Perona the one character <laughs> from his group that ended up coming back later <laughs> so it's like ah we'll just hey, have her either <laughs> hey in his defense Absalom is dead <laughs> off screen uh, the end of the chapter though is uh. Uh, dragon kind of like quietly looking over this. The other revolutionaries being like, what, Kuma? Why did you join? We see Kuma sailing on his ship and his Jolly Roger is his body's drawing of him. It's so goddamn cute. Uh, and he is writing a letter to her saying, I'm writing this to you at sea. 
It's difficult to travel now, being so famous, but I'm doing well. How is everyone? While I'm traveling the world, I'll find more places to take you once you've turned 10, Bonnie. And we finish off the chapter with a, a call coming in saying, hey, you have new orders from the, gov- the, the government, Kuma. Where are you now? And he says, in the East Blue, what is your command? It kind of looks like he's sailing towards uh, Fuchsia Village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if... Heartbreaking. <laughs> just a con- just a constant heartbreaking train ever since this uh, body was introduced, basically. Uh-huh. Just because, you know, she's just a cute kid, and he's just her proud papa just wants to look after her. And he knows that he's going to never see her again. Uh, and... <sighs> It's it's like it's almost like it's worse than like the big hit that these kind of tragic one uh, flashbacks tend to have, where it's like there's going to be a big, really really sad big cry moment uh, at some point or another. But it feels like we're already just we've already gotten worse than that because it's just this knowing dread of what's to come because the characters know what's going to come. We uh, we as an audience have known there was an innate like tragedy. Takuma and whatever his backstory was for a very long time we've known that like oh something's wrong with this guy and he seems Mm -hmm. to act like there's only so little time he has left and just as we learned more about him like oh the tragedy that he became a slave again and stuff like that you're like I just know that eventually we're going to find out what his deal is and it's going to be heartbreaking finding out all the Bonnie stuff has made it even worse Um, but uh, it it is, is very painful uh, I would not be shocked if next chapter ends up being the last of this flashback. I am curious where this is going to be ending, though, uh, because him being in the East Blue and headed towards like where Luffy grew up has me wondering if we get an mm. encounter with Dragon to end this off on. Because we do know mm. Dragon spends some time in the East Blue. like He, he was there to save Luffy at Loketown. So there's a part of me that wonders if he doesn't just chill around the east blue to overlook luffy mm. or if that's something we might see that maybe he was like hey you cared a lot about your kid made me feel like maybe i should start giving a shit about mine <laughs> but, so what's your next what's what's your next uh father-daughter outing planned i'm never going to see her again all right well i'll follow your lead then <laughs> fair enough I, part of me just wonders if there's going to be some kind of interaction or something like that i feel like there's going to be some way of closing this story off yeah all right that's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week, guys. We went pretty long today because uh, mm-hmm. we had a lot to talk about. Quinn, why don't you tell me what was your favorite manga this week? Who's your MVP? Uh, I'm going to give you my first one right now. My favorite manga was Green, Green, Green. Green, Green, Greens. I really All like right. this chapter. Oh, I thought this was like a really compelling uh, way of like uh, motivating our main character. And I just really find myself intrigued by his backstory or not backstory, like, but his motivations for things yeah. like that, that, that pulling out of his passion and, and like uh, fervor is like a really, really cool thing. I'm going to go with one piece. Uh, to, like we just discussed, like yeah, just, it's a very well done, make you feel sad sequence. Yeah. So, uh, for my MVP, I am going to go with no, not that one. Where to go? Uh, Barum. No, Pochita. Oh, uh, very very short moment. Like he's on until like three pages, but that's the big 
moment for like just a small moment of hey denji you gotta like do something different and what's, he does it in such a gentle dream? gentle earnest way that felt really really powerful I think I'm gonna give my MVP to Kuma. I don't think I've given it to him since this One Piece flashback started. No, I did actually a couple weeks ago, um, about a month ago, I guess. But I do want to give it to him again. This is just like heartbreaking. Um, but I, I, I don't know why. I think the reason I want to give it to him is specifically because he used Bonnie's picture as his Jolly Roger. I don't know why, but that hit me so hard. I was like, he mm. does this motherfucking dad just wants to do everything for this little girl who's not even like biologically his it's just you know he's he's like this is my child because i love her and it's 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 so very sweet and i think there was also just a part of me that knew the tragedy of this one piece character was always going to be a little complicated uh like why did kuma decide to uh subject himself to having his mind erased and turn into a weapon and all this sort of stuff um and then finding out why is just because he he loved his daughter and he was so grateful to know that she could be saved it seems to be a recurring thing uh going on in the supernovas in particular of them having bonds with uh foster fathers who suffer tragedy uh as a big part of their stories because we've had bonnie we've had law uh Obviously, like, you know, Luffy, it's 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 not that bad because Shanks is still kicking right now. <laughs> but it, there's a lot of like, you know, foster father stories. They are that seem to tie them all together. Uh, even like, like even Zoro, there's, you know, there's the master uh, in his in his yeah. backstory as well. Yeah, uh, I'm just waiting for when we find out Apu, uh, Apo is like, oh, my trumpet dad. <laughs> And that is why I scratched the records. Yeah. <laughs> that is why I wicka wicka wick. I don't know why I thought that sound effect was very funny. No, right. Um, <laughs> the audience, by the way, picked One Piece as their chapter of the week, and Haku from Green Green Greens as their character of the week. Good, good picks. That is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap, everyone. If you want more, you can check us out on weeklymangarecap.podbean.com for past episodes. Also, youtube.com slash weeklymangarecap for the video version. You can find the link to the Discord server wherever this is posted. Use that to have wonderful interactions with our community and also to find the Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i, which keeps track of recommendations that we've covered, may cover in the future, uh, Q&A for future episodes, uh, MVP and favorite series voting and the, all the other different stuff associated with the show. Uh, if you want even more, you can also listen on SoundCloud and Spotify, not not SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, almost everywhere that uh-huh. that's podcasts get posted to. Uh, we are also, uh, the video version of the show has an introduction, which is made by Milo Jack Stillitz and Wednesday Without Cheddar. And occasionally it's title card art made by Steve Mann. Steve Mann's work you can find by looking at Steve Mann Arts and everywhere that art gets posted, as long as boobs are allowed. And uh, we also want to thank everyone who supports us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash weekly manga recap. You can support the show financially over there. And in return, you get some bonus episodes that we do a minimum of once per month. Though, though recently, we also put up one that is free, in which we talk at exhaustive length about the Netflix live-action One Piece series. 
Yes, there's some really cool stuff. We have some fun uh, stuff planned as well in the upcoming future, so it's always cool. And once you uh, subscribe, you also have access to all of the old stuff as well. So if you've never done it before and you want to find, uh, God, what has to be probably a couple of days worth, uh, like a week's worth of content of just like, it's probably longer than that. We've been doing this for a while uh, of just pure podcasts. You you could uh, do that and, and really lose yourself in the music, some would say. Except it's uh, us talking. Yeah. Well, but yes. I mean, if, if you want to consider all sound to be music in some uh-huh. form or another, yes. is it talking yeah. the music uh, of uh, the mouth when you think about it? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Quinn, <laughs> tell me. When we're next series? Yes. Uh, now, Nick, we're in December, right? We are. Now, what uh, genre do you tend to think about when you think of December? Bad Hallmark stuff. And what are those, Nick? They're Christmas stories, typically. But but what typically happens in them? Meet cutes. That's right. Romance. We haven't talked about romance a little bit on this show. So that's why I thought we should talk about romance. But I was like, I don't want to talk about one romance. I don't want to talk about two romances. Oh, no. We're going to love I actually. I, I, I don't want to talk about three romances, four romances. I want to talk about a hundred romances, Nick. So oh, that's no. why we're going to read no. the hundred girlfriends no. who no. really, 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 really love you. <laughs> uh, content warning apparently incest. <laughs> Quinn, I for one of them. take the bullet for having us read all the bad harem series this year. But fine. If you want to share the burden, let's do it. And, and this ninja recommended it. And the, the pitch says, guys, 100 soulmates, soulmates way better than it sounds. Well, I guess we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.